0: if I can make you incoherent I have done my job
1: <laughs> so
2: that so. sounds like
0: a line <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry I was just like double entendres are us
3: welcome back to Melissa listen guys a bi-weekly podcast about BBC Smartland where we talk about the show the ships the fandom the characters and everything else we can come up with I am Omotastic And I'm a snow fox. And today we are going to talk about the music of Merlin in another Love to Hate episode. And for this, we have two special guests. The first one is Altocello. Hello. And the other one is Grab That Jam, also known as Grace. Hi. Awesome. We are really happy to have you, and it's going to be an interesting episode, I am sure. And before we go into anything else, let's quickly hear some news. The blog BBC Merlin Source on Tumblr is holding a poll on the top 10 favorite episodes of Merlin. The poll stays open until the 8th of June. Check out their blog on Tumblr if you want to vote in it. After Kamla and Big Bang's first writer's check-in is due. Writer sign-ups closed recently and this is the first mandatory check-in. Please check the community on LiveJournal for more information and to check in. Reverse Big Bang has begun posting. Every couple of days a new artwork with accompanying fig is posted. And that has been it for news. Let's just go into our first and honestly only talkback for this episode because it is a long one. Big one. It's a really big one. We're very happy about it and we really want to pay attention to it and really get into it, but that's the reason we're only doing one today. And this comment was left by, I'm assuming, Miss Hutts or Ms. Hutts. I'm not entirely, or maybe M. Shots. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. On our episode about Arthur, a very early episode, I'm gonna quote part of their comment, and it's gonna be a longer quote, but it's all relevant. There was no real way to cut this, so just bear with me for the next two minutes. I have to put in my two cents about Arthur never legalizing magic. Why would he? As he pointed out, he never sees magic used for good. It is always being used to attack him. Trying to justify overturning his father's apparent life work with no good evidence? Yeah, not happening. Also, his experience with the law is someone supposedly or actually does magic, they get brought to the king for judgment. He is the king, he gets to decide what happens. If and when a situation of good magic use arises, Arthur assumes it will be brought before him to judge. Remember, Uther did trials constantly, everyone knew the foregone conclusion. But he still held a trial. Arthur rather naively assumes it will work that way in his reign as well, and as such does not see a need to broach the subject of lifting the ban until he deems it necessary. In fact, the one time they come upon a village killing someone for magic, Arthur and Merlin interfere and stop the execution on the grounds that this is a matter for the king to decide, although she does end up dead shortly thereafter anyway. Now, on the other side, we do not see an active persecution of magic by Arthur either. There's no hunting down druids, there's no people being executed for nothing but the fact that they possess magic. For me, his treatment of Kara went along with what he had been doing all along. He was far more interested in what happened rather than how. The use of magic was immaterial to the case and so he kept getting annoyed at her for trying to make it about that instead of about the assassination attempt. What would have been really interesting would have been if a case had been brought before Arthur regarding a truly innocuous use of magic. We have no cases of things like the poultice for Gwen's father or Alice's healing abilities ever brought forward for Arthur to cast a ruling on. We don't even have a case of someone encouraging plants to grow or something. That would be interesting. Whew, there's a lot in there. There's <laughs> so much to dissect. <laughs> Honestly, I think you're not entirely wrong. But I also think you're not entirely right. And we've talked about this when we wrapped up series 1, how Arthur doesn't have magic on his mind too much or sees it from both sides really. I mean sure magic is used for evil and blah blah blah, but Arthur also recognizes as early as series 1 that magic can be used for good. And honestly I don't know if Arthur kept a mental tally of good magic users versus evil magic users. But I'm an Arthur fan, so, you know, it's biased, obviously. I think Arthur is self-aware enough to know that magic is a tool, like a sword, to either do bad or good deeds with it. And I think that even though he has objectively seen more magic used for bad stuff than good stuff, he understands that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, that magic is always evil. For example, in series 5, in The Desire, he says... I've seen what misery unfettered sorcery brings. And then he talks about how magic almost destroyed Camelot and that in his time Morgana has used it for nothing but evil. And then when he and Merlin discuss it more, Arthur says, all my father's work would be for nothing. And that is the thing that tells me that this is much more about disappointing his father than it is about the actual issue of is magic good or evil. For Arthur, the ban on magic is tied to his father's legacy. He's already changed so many things about Camelot. He married a maid, already he changed, uh, he allowed peasants to become knights. Arthur probably blames himself in part for Morgana's change. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot going on for this boy, honestly. And even though this is after the death song of Uther Pendragon, when Arthur has sort of made peace with the fact that he's a disappointment to his father, or at least what he thinks might have been his father's spirit, uh, you know, he still then says, perhaps my father was wrong, perhaps the old ways aren't as evil as we thought. Because he was also wrong about peasants not being good knights. Like, he, Uther, was wrong about peasants not making good knights. And that shows that Arthur is self-aware enough to realize that his opinion might be one-sided and influenced by his own hang-ups. He has seen magic being used for good, even though it's been a long time at that point. And I'm convinced that Arthur had made up his mind in this scene, in the Desir, to save Mordred, to bring magic back to Camelot, and he was only trying to convince Merlin of the same thing. It's Merlin who talks Arthur out of it. And... Let's not get into that too deeply because I made myself nearly cry at work when I was thinking about this in February when I was writing down my thoughts on this comment. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't want to relive that right now. But yeah, I think that if it had been wanted by the show writers, Arthur could have had good enough reasons to lift the ban on magic. And of course, that would have changed the trajectory of this show dramatically, because it would have meant that the reason for Mordred betraying and killing Arthur would have had to have been even more personal than they were, because if magic were legal, Carol would have had no reason to assassinate Arthur, and then that whole issue wouldn't have arisen in the first place. So which, uh, which in my opinion, would have been more interesting, honestly. But there you go. Or they could have done what uh, Rox has been saying all along, End the show with the beginning of the golden age of the Arthurian rule. Magic is legal, everything prospers, and that's great. And, you know, Arthur will die eventually, but that doesn't happen for a while yet. And the show actually ends in a place that was promised from the very beginning of the show.
1: And also, I think what we need to remember about Arthur and his stance on magic, because I completely agree with you, Momo, that by the time we get to season five, I think a lot of it is to do with holding on to his father's legacy, as he says in that episode. But also, you know, I think it's really easy to forget that, yes, Arthur is a smart guy and he is, you know, not as prone to bias as Uther, I think. And he said from the beginning, oh, you know, maybe magic can be used for good. Like he, like he, he doesn't really have an opinion on it in season one. By the time we get to season two, and then by the time we get to season four, he says, he says it clear as day, I've lost both my parents to magic. It is pure evil. And you kind of can't really argue with that because that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> He's lost both of his parents to magic. And of course, the tragedy of it is, is that both times Merlin was trying to save him from himself and was actually trying to save Uther's life in um, the... T- um, the wicked day and you know that's why it ends up being so sad but that also fuels him and he becomes king obviously right after that legalizing magic is the last thing that's going to be on his mind and this plot point that the writers keep bringing up with arthur like i said it's the mandatory episode of the year in which Merlin almost gets to tell Arthur and then it's taken away from him. And, you know, by the time we get to season four, they've reused that parent plot line again. But it's, again, not only does it remind us that Arthur is probably never going to legalize magic, but it also reminds us that Merlin can't tell him about his magic because he still hates it. And that's kind of also part of that cycle. Now, by season five, we can see he's healed quite a lot, you know. But by that point, Morgana's just gone insane And again, he has no interest in legalizing something that is constantly a direct threat to him. Her magic is a threat to his kingdom. So you can't really blame him at that point, I think. It's just gone too far. There's just been too much politics involved, Also,
3: as a side note, I personally don't think the fandom would still be as active as it is now if we'd had a good happy ending to the show where all the issues with the magic reveal, etc., had been resolved like the need for fan fiction yeah. to fix what the <laughs> show agree. did to its fans wouldn't be there and the fandom probably would have died out years ago so <laughs> and the we, we know this because okay hang on
1: have the people that are on the podcast with us seen endgame yeah yes Yeah, but okay for our listeners spoilers for avengers endgame ahead just Clock out for the next thirty seconds. If you've not seen it, that's why in the last two two or three weeks since Endgame aired, there's been three thousand Stephen Bucky oh fix put onto Ao3. Three thousand because Steve abandoned his husband in the modern era. And I mean, you know, I am, you know that that is a hyperbole. Like I know it's more nuanced than that, but three thousand <laughs> fix put onto AO3 since Endgame aired, just for that one pairing. Well, returning back to the comment, maybe, because there's there's still some some way to go. A lot to get through. Okay. So, I'll take the next one so Momo can have a break. (laughs) Returning back to the comment. In regards to Arthur gaining so much confidence in himself as a ruler, I think that goes back to him trying to please people. So, hear me out. Arthur was raised with Uther, never liking what he did no matter what. Morgana sometimes liked what he did, but just as often she would chastise him. Now on that note, an interesting thing about her chastisement is that it stops there. She tells him he messed up, she doesn't tell him how or why. And that brings me around to Merlin. He not only tells Arthur when he messes up, but likes to rant about what exactly he messed up doing. Merlin is also very quick with copious quantities of advice on what should have been done instead, especially at the beginning of the series. And most notably, Merlin praises Arthur for doing the right thing pretty much every single time he does it. As time goes by, you can see a shift in Arthur's behavior from trying to please his father to trying to please Merlin. And I do say Merlin instead of Gwen because he doesn't really treat Gwen like she can handle the hard stuff. Now, if the only person he really tried to please is Merlin, his life just became inordinately easier. Firstly, Merlin from Arthur's perspective is easy to please. We see several instances of Arthur trying to get Merlin to tell him what to do and Merlin generally telling Arthur to decide, the implication being that Merlin will accept whatever Arthur decides. There's a lot of psychology in there as well. Going
3: with okay. this with this analysis, it works for the desire and how Arthur acts in like how Arthur makes his decision in the Desire. Because, like I said, I think Arthur was already convinced that magic should be legal, even if it's just to save Mordred. And he was trying to convince Merlin of the same thing. Or he was trying to signal to Merlin that it's okay for you to say that you think magic is okay, because I think magic is okay. And then Merlin says, there can be no place in Camelot for magic. And Arthur is shocked and upset about this you can tell like if you rewatch that scene like I did in February when I started crying you can tell from his face and the way he leans back without another word that he is shocked and upset by Merlin's words and then what he does is follow Merlin's quote-unquote advice and denies magic because he thinks it's what Merlin wants Because Arthur didn't see the tears in Merlin's eyes when he said it, and he probably didn't hear the hitch in Merlin's breath because Arthur isn't microanalyzing Merlin's reaction from two meters, like not not, (laughs) not in that moment, not from two meters away in a dimly lit forest at night when he has other things on his mind as well. So he takes Merlin's words at face value rather than paying attention to the clues in Merlin's body language and voice. And then he makes a decision to to deny magic because he thinks it's what Merlin wants.
1: Yeah, and I think, just kind of
3: going back to Morgana as well, because I think what's
1: really interesting there is, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that Morgana never really gives helpful advice, because we've seen, I would argue that especially in season one Arthur listens to Morgana more than he listens to Merlin she's got him wrapped around her little finger like armor watch armor watch I mean I knew I had to get that in there somehow because like I saw that part of the comment I was like oh Morgana in the early episodes of season one you can like she's constantly giving Arthur advice in in her own sort of way but you know she knows how to deal with him whereas Merlin doesn't at this point they're still really quite um you know i think arthur's still really irritated by him he's still got that kind of i'm in a position of power over you" T.M. thing like he doesn't really listen to him that much and when he does it's only as a last resort you know morgana comes into his room to try and get him to help her with the afank you know and she's just like oh well you know you're not like Merlin. Merlin's so much better than you. <laughs> and it's like playing to his, like, you know, bruised male ego. And he's just like, all right, what do you want me to do? <laughs> or, you know, he walk- she walks into his room and just hands him a sword and says, go save Merlin's life because, you know, this isn't the kind of king you want to be, is it? And I think that she has a way of talking to him that – get like again he he does have that male ego still and I don't think he ever really loses it but in season one he's still very much like a boy you know and I think she understands how to get through that she, she's grown up with him you know with Gwen's advice later on I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit but I think that Gwen has a similar way of dealing with Arthur as Merlin does in the beginning of their relationship, but she gets away with saying the things that she does because she's a girl, whereas Merlin would just get a clout and that would be the end of it. And shut up, shut up Merlin. And I think that later on this, okay, like I don't want to get too Freudian about this. Okay. <laughs> but hear me out. Arthur's never had a mother before. <laughs> and so I feel like the way that Gwen deals with him going forward feels very maternal to me like there's a lot of kind of like hand-holding and it's okay like you did your best
3: <laughs> you the know stuff we're all for trying
1: right, <laughs> right? But am I not right like is anything that I'm saying right now not exactly how it is it's very maternal like and especially like in season five when she's queen and even playing field with him she's very much kind of you know she's really gentle towards him more so, like as the seasons go on she comes she becomes more and more gentle they they don't like she barely raises her eyebrow at him let alone her voice at any point in the later seasons you know they don't really have arguments not not the in only, the slightest the you th- know so way i think they could that
3: have made this more obvious is if Instead of angel, they would have cast someone tall and blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. Literally, I just went... Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but Arthur's confidence. Arthur's confidence in himself. But I, like, I think all of these things are really valid. But at the end of the day, look, the guy had to become king very unsuspectedly and... Well, not necessarily king, but he had to take up a, po- a position of authority very unsuspectedly when his father started to lose his mind at the end of season three. I mean, I mean, no one knew that Morgana was gonna turn out to be evil. Like, in terms of the characters, had no idea. You can tell it completely breaks Arthur and it breaks Uther even more. And that's basically where he had a he had a decision to make. He's like, I can either let this break me, or I can. St- you know, step up to the opportunity to do what I'm supposed to do. And we already said that we can see that change in him in season four. So I think that that is a huge deal that he just had to get on with it. Now, as we go into season five, I think losing Agravain as an influence really helped and him being able to grow into himself as a ruler it's been three years so he's had a chance to do what he wants to be doing he's obviously got Merlin's advice he's got his mom's <laughs> advice and he's got he's got, <laughs> and he's also you know and I love Uther you guys I mean everyone knows how much I adore Uther but the thing is, is he was affecting Arthur's self-esteem because they're just different they 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 just do things in different ways and they've had different wounds. They've had different experiences and they're not as different as i think some people think but it's true you can see Arthur is stressed out around Uther when it comes to making decisions or you know whether he's he's going to react badly and when he's king obviously Uther's not there so he gets to do things his way and i think he's just relaxed he's relaxed because he never really had full power he was the prince but he always had to answer to his father so for example when Merlin did something stupid like lose the key to the the cell that was keeping the crystal you know he's like, well, I'll have, you know, if you do this again, I'll have to report you to my father. Like he's always worried about what people's actions are going to affect Uther's temper. He doesn't have to think that way anymore because he's overseeing everything, which has its own stress, obviously, but it's not quite the same. He's not worried about what someone else is going to think of him until Uther's ghost comes back and ruins everything. But, you know, that's something else. So I think it's just a natural progression of he had to learn on the job so i just think that it's not quite as simple as oh well he does things for merlin like i do agree i think that he cares a lot more about what merlin thinks by the time we get to season five he's so much nicer to him we can see that and like you said momo the desire he's literally asking him for his advice there's this there's that famous meme on tumblr where it's like arthur i'm the king i do whatever i want also arthur listen merlin If you were the king, like, if you were literally the king of Camelot, what would you do in this situation? Like, not saying I do exactly what you say, but literally, if you tell me what to do, I will literally just do what you say. Like, that's basically (laughs) their relationship at this point. But I just think it's more complicated than that. So the show is more complex than we give it
3: credit for. Who knew? (laughs) The writers certainly didn't know that the show was this complex.
1: Our lovely commenter just finished off by saying, I hope you wanted a dissertation. (laughs) Arthur is my favorite character.
3: I'm actually stopping myself from adding to this with the psych, or a, is Arthur's behavior towards Merlin harmful or not discussion? Because otherwise, I'll be here all day. I personally would be totally up for another essay on that topic, because I love Arthur. He's also my favorite character. And... Honestly, I must I must thank you, because without your comment, I wouldn't have gone back to watch that scene in The Desir to make my point. And watching that scene has given me more feelings about this show and these two characters than anything else in at least a year. So thank you for that. There you go. And that was the only back
1: <laughs> yes. we were doing today, because I think that is quite enough for one recording session. I agree. I agree. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if you guys had any thoughts about everything that we just said and what our lovely commenter had to say, then please contact us through all of the following channels. So, as we've said before, comments that are reacted to on air, like the one we just read, will only come through our website. If you desperately want us to react to your comment, then just say so. We now pick and choose which comments we react to because we sometimes get a lot of the same kind of comments coming through. And we want to obviously save as much airtime as possible for discussing the topics rather than just rehashing old stuff. But if you desperately want us to talk about what you said, then just say. And of course, we will do it. Um, If you don't care about your comment being read or you just want to contact us elsewhere, then all these following channels, we will read your comment and reply to you there, but not on the podcast. So you can send us an ask or a uh, or reblog the episode post on Tumblr. We are at Melissen. You can tweet us or comment on our tweets or retweet our tweets with your feedback. We are also at Melissen. You can send us an email, which is melissen.podcast at gmail.com. And I know this because I'm reading it off of the script. (laughs) I am grinning so hard right now. I'm so proud. I'm very excited, yes. Here's a gold star. You can rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. We are Melissa on iTunes. And you can also listen to us through a bunch of different other podcast apps if you're on Android as well. And you also can talk to us on Discord. We have a dedicated channel on our Discord for episode reactions. So the invite link is on our Tumblr or just ask us for it. If you can't find it, we will give it to you. So there you go. All the places you can talk to us, please do it. We love reading your comments and hearing your feedback. Now, let's hear from our lovely two guests and their fan history. Cello, do you want to go first? Because your name appears first alphabetically <laughs> in the script. So there you go.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I'm Alto Cello. I go by Cello. And yes, I do sing alto and I do indeed play the Cello. But uh, my contributions in the music world and merlin are well i do have some actually but mostly they're pretty limited mostly i do fan art that's Hmm. that's my jam
3: how how did you get into merlin
0: we were living overseas actually for a year we were in the netherlands and i was looking for something to watch on the bbc i know it's terrible it's a really rough life um it was august of 2009 and they were doing an entire series one recap before they started series two and I just sort of fell into it and I loved it. It was silly and it was funny, but it was sweet and it had heart, and I adored it. Um, and I got to watch it on the Beeb that fall, all of series two. And I've always been really intense about my adoration for books and movies and things that had never actually been in a formal fandom. So Merlin was my very, very first online fandom it was mine too how exciting yeah. and i i thought there's got to be more out there and i found live journal and i found the box oh, of yeah. magic thick fest and read the crown of the summer court and fell in love with the fact that there was art embedded in this beautiful beautiful fic and thought i want to do that and so <laughs> i did <laughs> awesome <laughs> oh
1: that's Perfect. so exciting
0: so that's, that's sort of how I fell in and, I, and I've been in and out. I mean, it's one of those things I try to do a big fest. So I usually do the, the summer, uh, big bang, which was paper legends and is now after kanlan And, and that's, it's been good. It's been really good. So that was, boy, it's yeah. been a long time. Years. It's been yeah. like 11 years. Yeah. 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 It's, it's,
1: yeah, it's a long, it's a long time to be in a fandom. Um, what about you, Grace? Um, so I am slightly different. I'm
2: fairly new to the Merlin fandom comparatively to you guys. Um, I, so I had finished, I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and um, I had gotten Netflix for like a Christmas present from my grandma, and she had paid for like three years of it. And so all of the Star Trek, like I literally in the span of like a summer and like the beginning of probably my, I don't know, sixth grade year in middle school, I watched all the Star Trek stuff and then I ran out of stuff to watch and I freaked out. (laughs) And So then I like, I'm not kidding you. There was a period of time where I just like ravenously just anything I could get my hands on on Netflix that was like a TV show of any kind. I watched and so it was like the X Files and Battlestar Galactica and a bunch of sci-fi stuff. And then I ran out of sci-fi stuff to watch and (laughs) I was like, well, I'm not a big fantasy person, but um I like I had read T H. White's The Once and Future King when I was in like seventh grade and I really, really loved that book. And I was just looking for, like, other, like, Arthurian stuff, and then I came across Merlin on Netflix, and I was like, I didn't know Merlin was ever young. That's really weird. (laughs) I want to (laughs) watch... And I started watching the show, and I finished it in, like, a month, and (laughs) I absolutely adored it. Um, And so then, after that point, sort of, I don't think the fifth season had come out yet, but after that point, I had just sort of like – I didn't have a computer at the time, so I would have to go to the public I, – I went to the public library a lot, and I um started my Tumblr account around kind of the same time, and I Googled like just some of the stuff that I like – or Googled Tumblr, some of the stuff that I like, and Merlin happened to be one of it, and I didn't realize – that it had such a huge fandom at the time. And I was like, this is really strange. And I would never really been part of a fandom other than like Star Trek. And I had just mostly read Star Trek, like unofficial novels online. Like they weren't like fanfic. I mean, they were fan fiction, I guess, but they were like sort of the like year spanning Klingon war kind of fan fictions. I had never, I'd never really been part of a fandom. And then when sort of Merlin ended, I was like, okay, well, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. Besides, like, just read a lot. And so I read a ton of fan fiction, just like anything I could get my hands on related to Merlin, or even just like a lot of Arthurian Legends stuff. I'd gotten really into just because it's so weird. And um, yeah, so and I, I I'm not much of a like I wrote I've written some fan fiction stuff, but nothing ever for Merlin. I mostly stick to Star Trek if I'm gonna write stuff because I'm a little more comfortable in sci-fi, but Um, I uh, just I guess my fandom participation is mostly just me chatting with people online or in real that's that's good people I that liked Merlin as well so well speaking of things we love
1: (laughs) yes speaking of things we love
2: music
0: I
1: I assume we will have
3: music if we're on this podcast together today so (laughs) I love music (laughs) awesome awesome then you have come to the right place all right the way we said we were going to do this is basically go season by season except everyone we have we've already said this before we started recording properly but there is no season five soundtrack because they had just checked out that this. <laughs> yes <of> time. <laughs> yeah they re- yeah. Yeah.
2: Same.
3: yeah like i was i was listening to the soundtrack on spotify and then i'd ...finished season 4 and wanted to listen to season 5 and... ...didn't find it on Spotify and I texted rocks and I was like, well... ...guess I'm not going to say anything about season 5 because I can't find the soundtrack on Spotify... And Roxwell's like, I don't think they made one. Yeah, they one. <laughs> never released one, which is... But then again, like I keep saying, season four is not
1: really season four either. It's just a few <laughs> season four tracks with mostly things from the other seasons. Um, and what I was going... Uh, w- w- what I said previously off-air, which I will now say properly <laughs> for everyone listening, is that I think a lot of the reasons why these soundtracks are curated really strangely, we'll get into that, um, is that, you know these soundtracks were released on cd i don't know if digital download was really a thing then properly uh but they were at least released on cd um Around November, early to mid-November. Now the season started in September and ended in December. And Rob Lane was given, who is the, the main composer for for Merlin. I'm sure you must have heard his name if you've ever listened to behind the scenes or commentaries or whatever. Um, he's the genius behind the Merlin soundtrack, and he. Would be given a very very short turnover to do these episodes because of course, as people who maybe do maybe don't know much about uh, media composing, is you basically have to work with as much of a final cut as you possibly can. That's kind of the point, especially when it comes to things syncing up properly. If you're you know writing for something that's you know very very action heavy or something, or or even for emotional weight, you need a good sync point. You you pretty much need a locked film or a locked episode to do it um that doesn't always happen but that's basically your aim which meant he had about one or two weeks in which to score each episode before they went out to the bbc very stressful
2: Yeah, and also looking at his IMDb page, which I had pulled up earlier, uh, he was working on, like, Atlantis, like that t- – remember that TV show Atlantis? Yeah,
1: um, that aired after
2: Merlin finished, though, so that wasn't the same time. But but it's uh, – but I was reading about it. He had started – like, so they had already started filming, and, like, obviously, like you said, a lot of media composers, because especially if it's, like, BBC, where it's, like, a big corporate thing, and, like, they a lot of their time, their pool for, like, hiring composers is, like, pretty, like – not the same, but, like you- – <laughs> Slim – slim right yeah yeah Um, He was, like, I was reading about it, he was already working on some of the, like, early episodes of Atlanta. so on top of, like, just kind of
1: phoning it in in the fifth season, that doesn't really surprise me, because it's, like... Exactly.
2: Oh, he was um,
1: busy, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he's done, listen, he's done a lot of work, and, like, we'll talk about Rob in a second, but, the, but, like, what I was gonna say is that, basically, that's why you'll notice, if you look at the season uh, tr- uh soundtracks, that a lot of the actual full scores that you get for each season are from the earlier episodes, because they're the ones that would have been finished first, and Then you might get a couple that come from the midpoint, but you don't really, I mean, there are a couple of finale tracks that you have in in uh, a couple of the soundtracks, especially the Sword in the Stone theme. But really, you don't get much from... The latter part of the season, because it probably wasn't actually finalized by the time the CD was out for, you know, public consumption, which is, you know, which is a huge shame. But that's just kind of the way of things. I'm not surprised that he only kind of, like, I mean, I doubt he was in charge of curating the soundtrack at all, but um, that's probably why a lot of like just the early stuff was put on those soundtracks. And you'll see a lot of like Cedric's theme number one, Cedric's yes, theme right. number two, Cedric's <laughs> theme number three. <laughs> It's like, Cedric was in one episode, guys. Why is half the soundtrack about him? (laughs) But yeah, it's a shame because there were so many other really cool things that they were doing with the soundtrack that we probably never can hear properly because we can only experience them through watching the episodes and they weren't, you know, actually like stripped back for us. But we should start a petition to get like a full like five season, like extravagant soundtrack so we can buy it. That would be... To do is we really
2: need to find like at the like editing department. Whoever was like the head of like the the like second unit editing, right? We need to find them, and they probably have a CDs or several CDs somewhere stashed away at the BBC that are like, oh yes, these were rejected Merlin stuff, or like oh this is God. the didn't use. We need to find them and have them tell without well, where tell us where that is because that would be interesting. And come on, like, that
0: would be awesome. Well, I, I yeah. did notice that we start off with Rob Lane on the credits for almost every single track for season one and season two. But you get to season two and you start seeing Rohan Stevenson. Yep. And yep. then you start seeing James Gosling. Yeah. And it's almost almost all those tracks that they had in season three, season four, uh, which were, like we said, the yard sale of all the ones that everybody wanted to hear, but they never put in any of them. Um, right. Those are almost all not Rob Lane. They're almost all those secondary composers, and I think someone was it. Grace's comment about dialing in on the last couple of seasons. I absolutely think that they probably had Rob. He'd done the legwork in building the themes, and then Rohan and James just ran with what he'd built. Yeah, and built on. They scaffolded on top of that, and so you can hear all of his work underneath in their pieces. And they just kind of built on it. And so he could go off and do Atlantis and all these other things that the Bee wanted him to do. Mm. And they just kind of kept grokking away on, Well, we need a new theme for this. How can we make it relate to that? And yeah. they're amazing. And honestly, their work is some of my favorite. Mm because it is more complex, but I think that's because they got more time to play in the sandbox.
1: Probably. And I think also what's really, what's really interesting about that is that we you see a similar story happening with uh, the, the photography department with Dale McCready, who actually didn't do much of the um, s- cinematography in season five at all. It was kind of handed over to other people and the last two episodes weren't, weren't done him, uh, by him, so the finale wasn't like you know he he did all these episodes of Merlin, but he never did the finale, and it's kind of yeah like a similar story with the score. And I wonder if yes, some of these people were just kind of lining up new jobs, and then maybe less well known people or people that hadn't really done much, you know, kind of got to step up and like you said do. Do some more, but I mean, when you look at Rob's uh, resume, you can tell that he's very, very into the period stuff. He's got, you know, um, kind of, he's got. on adams Beowulf, yeah he's got um uh like henry the eighth he's got elizabeth the first he's got mm-hmm. a lot a uh, charles the second he's got a lot of period piece on the atlantis obviously which is like i, I need to go back and re-listen to the atlantis soundtrack because i did watch that show when it was on air um but i never really paid much attention to the soundtrack i completely forgot that he scored it i i know that the jays were in charge of um the uh the producing behind that but i but I completely forgot that he scored that show. But yeah, he he does seem to have a niche and I wonder, I mean, I mean I'm sure he's done other stuff as well, but it's interesting that that's kind of where he where he chooses to be. But his style is very at home there, I think. And when you look at the soundtrack for Merlin, I mean, there are things I love about it, there are things I don't like so much about it. But one thing that is very interesting is I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I was listening, obviously, from season one through to season four. And I think the season one soundtrack sounds more experimental to me in terms of what they were doing sonically than what happens later on. I don't know, like, I think specifically... In because I mean obviously we have a lot of Dragon's Call themes in here because like I said we don't have much past Valiant Momo that's one of your notes isn't it why are like why have we got so many Valiant <laughs> tracks on it
3: it's just listen I I love all the Valiant related music it's a, it's one of my favorite pieces of the score um, but it's it, but it's interesting the stuff he's doing with all
1: the Lady Helen themes especially you've got that weird kind of like it's almost like a rustling weird like sort of like a chair scraping on the floor sort of sound at the back of your ears when you know like when she's got the voodoo doll and all of you know even it, it, it's sort of reminiscent of her voice when she says those magic spells and it's something that we don't really hear for the rest of the soundtrack and I think he's doing some really cool things in the season one soundtrack that I don't really hear that much later. He does some beautiful stuff, but it's not as weird in my opinion. I don't know if you guys maybe notice that as well.
2: With with that too, the I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie, but have you ever seen the Cartoon Sinbad movie with The Dreamworks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love it it uh, great movie but the thing that the sort of lady helen like weird experimental stuff that reminded me uh what it, that reminded me of is when we get to see the um the goddess of chaos i can't remember what her name is but she, yeah 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 when we see her and she's like in the bubble talking to sinbad and she's like in the bathtub holding the world in her hand like that like weird kind of almost like it's very like ethereal and like sireny mm-hmm. and like, yeah Almost in a like, there's you're not quite sure what it is, but there's something about it that's just like, uh, uh-uh, this isn't nope, <laughs> this shit's not okay. Like,
1: yeah, it's, and it's, me another that. thing that he does a lot. I mean, b- before we get like into the season by season breakdown, one thing that I noticed it, this is a very vocally driven score, yes. and it yeah. becomes more vocally driven the more that we uh, progress through the seasons. and. The weird thing about that is that sometimes I like it and sometimes I think I wish he would pull it back a bit because, the re I mean, you know, I'm sorry, did anyone on this podcast not already know that Titanic's my favorite thing on this earth? <laughs> so But, you know, that is also a very vocally driven soundtrack. But I just, I feel as though on every single track almost, on Merlin, you can hear some kind of vocals. And the problem with that is that then when we get to the really hard-hitting moments, it sometimes doesn't... It doesn't feel as special. And it doesn't feel quite as unique as you would like it to. There are moments that I'll bring up like when we go into more specific tracks, but I don't know. Like, What do you guys think about the vocal
3: elements in this score? Because they're very present. I find it very interesting that you say that. And when I say interesting, I mean surprising. Because I would have said probably not the exact opposite, but close to the opposite, because I don't I don't notice the the vocal parts except for a couple of pieces where I specifically made a note for this episode recording where I was like, "Ooh, they used vocals again! I love it." I'm sitting here completely surprised. Wait, you're telling me there are vocals in ev- in ev- almost every piece in this? Song? There are <laughs> times. Where, yeah.
1: Yeah, they are they are layered very very nicely. Um, I think that. Because what I was doing is I was looking for each track for something that was grabbing my attention. And it was difficult for things to grab my attention because so often there was a choir like that was layered with other things. There are moments where they really stand out beautifully. And I'll get to those uh, tracks when we when we come to them where he really uses it so well. And, you know, in the in the big moments as well that, you know, it can work i just yeah i feel like it was always like oh okay well there are the vocals again there are the vocals again um there are also other tricks that he likes he really loves loves to do this thing where um the track starts with a and then it just goes quiet (laughs) and then the yeah 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 and i'm just like okay (laughs) like and that's and that's probably like a moment in the um in the episode where Morgana jumps out at Merlin again or something, you know, and it's like really scary. But um, again, he likes that. Um, in fact, he likes that kind of, um, I I don't know what kind of instrument he's using. I think he might be using some kind of strings and like kind of distorting yeah. them like a sort of thing. Um, but yeah, he likes that a lot. He, um, oh, what else did I have written down here in terms of just overall kind of um takeaways he I noticed
0: a lot of really modal sounding key signatures you know that and that really sets you in the medieval period because we stopped using those when we got to classical music mostly so that that's a place setting trick that he's using to have a lot of his stuff be modal
1: he has a really good way of creating magical sounding sounds and the stuff that he does sonically when especially when you get to things like the she and Avalon and Mm -hmm. any and really any kind of magic happening he's you know he's he's using some vocals that kind of like sort of thing but he's also using um I think it might be harps or something really, really, really gentle. And it and it sounds like magic. It sounds like you like you're waving a magic wand and like sparks are flying out of it. And it's really, really clever. And I that I really do love. He uses it like, you know, like, you know, when um uh, a trickler is doing his thing and like I said, when Merlin sees Avalon for the first time and I assume it mm-hmm. probably is also playing when um he's being healed at that river when Lancelot takes them to be healed but it's but it's in a lot of stuff and like you said uh as well uh, cello it's it's sort of that world building thing where it's like oh okay something magical is happening right now you know which is yeah. really really nice but um yeah so does anyone have any overall thoughts before we kind of break down the seasons kind of individually a bit more
2: um i so one of the one of the things that i actually quite uh and this isn't i mean this is related to sound um it, just because I mean, it's not exactly the score, but it's sound sound effects. I, I know that's a totally different department of like the, the production of a TV show is like sound effects for certain things. but I do have to say that you know, you talked about world building and play setting and specifically the magic with Merlin. I the the way that magic sounds in this show, it's very samey to me for a lot of it. Like I like all of the magic. That no matter what kind of magic it is, it sounds rough the same, and like yep. <laughs> Lord magic or Druid magic, but everything else. But even then, the Druid magic sounds a lot like just Merlin. Yeah, I mean, like doing kind of whatever, and I, that doesn't necessarily bug me, but I it. I think it's a missed
1: opportunity, but you know, again, the show has been off for five, you know, five something years. So <laughs> I death. think it's a matter of resources as well, as well at the end of the day, but also, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, these, we're, we're kind of led to believe that these people all get their magic from the same place that, you know, that, that they're all born off the old religion. So I guess in terms of a world building aspect of it, it kind of makes sense that it would sound similar but yeah you're right they could have they could have had a bit more variety with you know the way maybe um people are using evil magic versus the way merlin uses magic for example Merlin's meant to be more powerful than all of them so maybe he should have had his own
3: soundscape for that they could have they could have gone as easy as like attack spells having a different sound than i don't know merlin using magic to scrub the floor right. yeah for example just just different types of spells could have had different sounds or different attentions behind spells could have made the spell sound different.
0: Yeah. But some of this is that shorthand that they're developing and you see that in instrument choices too. So um, anytime you hear a bell, usually it's, it's like a doom thing, especially if it's a low bell. So when Gaius has his hearing, the music has bells in it. When, Mm you're reading when he's reading the letter from Hunith the very end has a bell because and it's it's a questioning note it's not it's not a dominant here's the end of the chord note it's a raised note to let you know that Merlin's destiny his fate is hanging in the air we don't know where he's going and you hear that a lot and but all that's the kind of stuff that we don't even really think about because bells are very traditionally in music used to denote stuff like that. And so he uses a lot of those conventions and we don't pick up on it because that's just part of something that we understand when you hear a bell. Oh, it's probably judgment time, you know, judgment that bells. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff like that. And violins are romantic, right? Strings hey, are romantic. Uh, and- oh
3: God.
1: <laughs> let's, let's just hold off on the violins for a second.
3: Right. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So But, but into- I just think it's interesting how he's setting that up in that just in that first half of the season. We hear a lot of that and then they just reuse that. And so oh. the music thing I think is part of that the magic music is that, that this is magic and you just you just you just accept it, right? And you just run with yeah. it because that's what they've established. And it's just easier to use the same sound for all of it because then we all know. That's true.
1: So uh season one soundtrack, and I guess a better place than any just to kind of take a couple of seconds is the theme music you know yeah. because that's kind of a big an important thing and you know what kind of even I was thinking to myself, you know, there are plenty of TV shows that don't really have intro credits, and you know, or or at least don't have intro credits every single time. And I looked at it like it's a good thirty or forty seconds that those intro credits run with that music, and I'm thinking, you know, all the things that we never got to see in the show. Like if every single episode just didn't have that intro music, <laughs> <you could> we have <laughs> had so many more scenes. <laughs> it's like, Total would be saved without those intro credits. You know what? I never really used to like these credits in terms of the music. I thought it was a little bit... Um, it, it didn't feel unique enough to me. It just felt like a load of kind of nice melodies and I was like oh yeah okay like and I could never really remember it at first like when I was younger I was like oh like I can never really remember how to hum that tune now obviously it's more nostalgic for me and I'm like oh yeah like this is you know like when I hear it now and I watch old episodes back I'm like yeah this feels really nostalgic but I don't think it's that I like that eye-catching or ear-catching you know in a
3: sense I mean what do you guys think about the opening music? I mean this might just be my my bias, but I would say it is catching. But that's that might just be because I've been hearing it for a decade. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it's <laughs> well, it's it's not as. <laughs> but I do remember that when I first like, I feel like when I first watched Merlin, all these many many years ago, I did like it already because I did feel like it sounded sort of epic and and you know fitting to the to the. To the show, and also then, of course, when you when you listen to it while while watching the show, you actually have the visual to the credits and the credits like watching the opening credits with all the things that are happening there just add to it. Like I can like just in my mind, I can see, for example, the dragon and uh, Lancelot on his on his horse, for example, and the and the sword lying down in the lake. I, I have all these visuals in my head when I hear it. Yeah. So that definitely contributes to me being like, oh yeah, the modern theme for sure. It sounds yeah. epic.
2: I I think it's, I mean, I, I don't mind it. I think it fits the show, you know? Like, I think I think it's very, like, of the show. Like, I don't, you know, it's not like one of those things that like, oh, it's the Star Trek theme that, like, is so, ho- like, it, it, it's so iconic and everything. Like, it's very... And I don't mean this as an insult. It's very nondescript. That's what I mean. It's very, mmm. Like, but the, but what's also interesting about it too is I don't think the main theme, as it is when we see the like intro credits, is the most compelling version of it of that theme. No, it's not. Because there are points later on in oh good goodness like I later on and like I think when when Arthur sort of after when arthur becomes king and they start bringing that like because it's his theme i mean like it's not his theme but it it, but it sort of is it's the show's theme and so there are moments where they bring in pieces of it that i think are more interesting i can't remember any specific ones but i think the like full main show theme itself is nondescript but when broken down and used and like again you said it drops off sort of about halfway through season three, but like when used in certain moments, it's very like, I don't know. It's more impactful there than it is when it's like, ah, yes, this is
1: Merlin. And it's. Like- I agree. But like, I just thought it was a good kind of talking point because yeah, we're going to hear a lot of variations of a lot of these melodies in <laughs> a lot of the different tracks that we have. And season one has a really a good opportunity for us to take a look at how they decided to introduce all these different characters because Merlin's theme, well, what I kind of called Merlin's theme in the way they describe it in the soundtrack, which I uh, looked at as Merlin lost. I think we all maybe agree. agree? Yeah. Which starts off with that piano and then the strings come in and the flute, which the flute is so, Prominent in this damn soundtrack, and I love it. Like, I can't say that, yeah, yeah. that I don't love it, but it's especially for Merlin, and that's where you hear the flute playing the theme. And what you were saying, um, uh, Grace, I think that the theme is more indicative, maybe, of I don't know if it's Arthur's theme, because Arthur's theme. I would say is more the burdens of duty. Like I think that's yes. more. But yeah, Merlin's Merlin's theme, uh, Merlin Lost, is is just such a lovely kind of way of introducing us to him. And like, think about how we're used to Merlin in the legends being this huge, powerful person, and then we get introduced to him with like pianos and flutes, and that's just kind of really amazing just to see like the big departure that they were making from the traditional version of this character you know and I just absolutely love that theme I think it's beautiful
0: I I loved the vulnerability of it and I really okay so I will admit that one of my very favorite relationships in this show is Merlin and Gaius oh my my. (laughs) love that I just love that because he never had a dad and this is someone who clearly isn't his dad but you know and never wanted to have children, and yet here he is, stuck <laughs> with this person. Damn and it's, it. But it's, and he's such a curmudgeon, but I love him. And um, and and it's complicated, and he gets it wrong all the time, you know. But he's trying, both of them. They're both trying. Anyway, um, Merlin Lost, I just love it because it's this little moment between them. And I, I do, I love it as the introduction between them. But the the theme music, I think, is more like Camelot with all of the the brass yeah Yeah, it's it's more like a camelot theme and then you can take bits of it and camelot's made up of all these people right and so they take pieces of that and they become the people's themes and all together they make camelot
1: and there's variations obviously like you know they change it up a bit for the arwen theme and then you have bits of it that get into the knights later on so i think yeah it is definitely more of a camelot theme than like arthur's theme or merlin's theme but um Comparatively, though, Arthur's theme, which, like I said, I kind of coined as the Burdens of Duty, which is the the, theater. Oh, so for anyone that doesn't really know the soundtrack that well. So so as far as I'm aware, the Burdens of Duty kind of start to come in um, when Merlin and Arthur have their big fight in Valiant um, and Merlin has to kind of storm out and Arthur's like sitting there on his own. And uh, it then also transitions uh, later on when um, Arthur is uh, standing by the fireplace and there's no score to begin with, and then it comes in slowly. But the interesting thing about this theme is how different it is from Merlin's. It's very, very heavy. Almost in the episode, you can barely hear the dialogue. It's that loud. It's just so imposing on you, whereas, you know, Merlin's is just flutes, and it's really gentle, and it builds slowly. And this one is really, really powerful and rich and it almost just kind of it sounds so much like arthur trying hard like it just really does which <laughs> i kind of love like it sounds like him it's really really great yeah definitely and you had mentioned the knights theme and
2: i'm i'm just jumping ahead i'm just jumping yeah, to go for it. a later season real quick but in like season four, the round table theme. I you. Oh, I love that one. You can hear it in that. I know it's so great. <laughs> great, because I think you mentioned how Merlin's is so like light and gentle, in a way, and Arthur's is very like bombastic and kind of like, you know, sort of ah yes, Arthur. And it's I think the the round table theme I think is a good happy medium between those two things. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Because yeah, it starts yeah. off. gentle and then it gets this sort of like victorious kind of like oh this is it this is the pinnacle we've reached the we've reached what this is all about like kind of thing and i think that really and i think it's a good because it also plays with a lot of the sort of motifs set up by the uh initial um like just show theme and I and I think it I don't know it just works really well and I so I don't know that's like the happy medium I think that specific track of like the round table when everyone's
1: united kind of feel so yeah really really beautiful um on the other hand with the girls what I find really interesting is that obviously you know They're much more feminine, of course. (laughs) You know. Although I think Merlin's theme is also quite feminine. I like I think that's one of the really nice things about it. Um, but Gwen's theme, I like Gwen's. Well, A, it's not actually what we hear when we first meet Gwen, which is a little annoying. True. <laughs> I just, I, I actually, this is Merlin and Gwen's love theme, which is just bizarre to me that this is what they chose to call Gwen. But um, it's so gentle. It doesn't really ever build. It
0: just stays, which is so cool. Well, what's, what I found interesting is that the very beginning has that, that bit where it's the piano. Mm-hmm. And it's dissonance because Gwen's always putting her foot in her mouth. It's very sweet, but she yeah. always gets it just a little bit wrong. And so there's uh, this very sweet little theme, and then dissonance, and then uh, some more sweet little theme, and then dissonance, and then the violin comes in. Yeah. And the violin has no dissonance because one, it's a there's only one note, and you can't be dissonant with yourself so much. But it's so sweet and it's kind. And you're right, it just kind of stays there. But it's like she finds her feet, like she always does when she's having a conversation with you. She gets it wrong the first couple times, but then she figures it out, and you realize that she's just the sweetest, kindest, most amazing person ever. And that's her theme. And I love it, because that's what's in the song, is that stumble when she she says the wrong thing, and you kind of get the wrong impression. But really, she makes it right, and it's okay in the end.
1: Oh, I, I... I love that I love that interpretation of it I think that's so sweet yeah it's absolutely lovely and especially more lovely when you think about the fact that it plays over her and Merlin scenes together which is because that's basically their relationship is like oh, why didn't we say that um Morgana on the other hand who doesn't necessarily have her own theme per se I mean it's called Two Morgana so it you know I mean it, it's it's what we hear when we first meet her and you know I mean, I'll, listen. I'll get to my whole thing about whether they wanted Merlin and Morgana to be a thing, but you know, it, it instantly. I mean, look, look. Okay, music does give you permission to feel a certain way, and the problem is with this theme is that it it it's very romantic, but it it feels already more mature and more elegant than Gwen's theme. It kind of like there's more there's more violins. It, it kind of feels more elevated. Like there's something about it that just which makes sense because Morgana is of a higher class and she's supposed, I mean, I think maybe we're supposed to get the feeling she's a little bit older, you know, so it kind of makes sense, but it's interesting how they're both feminine, but in very different ways, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: With two Morgana, what I did want to also talk about was it starts with this <laughs> which is <laughs> really interesting because I've often talked about this comedic kind of hustle and bustle music that they yeah. use. But they don't really use – they don't use this variation of it anymore. In season two, they come up with a different variation of it, which they then keep for pretty much all the rest of the seasons, which is this (coughs) (laughs) – Like, that's what they keep, like, after that. But this one has got a lot more notes. It's a lot more melodic. And we don't actually really get that after this. And I don't know if they thought it was just a bit too lighthearted. Yeah. (laughs) But it's very cute. It's just like (laughs) – Yeah. I love it. Um, Another uh, piece of music that I wanted to talk about, uh, just kind of going off of season one, which is such an outlier, and we don't hear it again until season three, and it's called Fighting in the Market. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Or should I say... Jack Sparrow's theme because it's pretty much <laughs> oh <my laughs> the Pirates of the Caribbean ripped off <laughs> and put the, into my... the whole thing.
2: The fighting in the market theme and all of Gawain's stuff, everything involving Gawain, is Pirates of the Caribbean. And yes. I don't know if it's because they really wanted him to be just a. They should have just made him a pirate. Like you can tell that the writers were like, "Is it too far if we just make him a pirate?" And they're like, "Yes, <laughs> like."
0: He's such a rogue, you know? that. That's the whole point. I love Fighting in the Market. I just love it.
1: <laughs> fighting in the Market is, like, it's not that jarring when you listen to it in the episode. But when you listen to it on the soundtrack, it just... And the, yeah, the only other time we hear this actual track is um, in season three in the Eye of the Phoenix when uh, Merlin and Gwen are trying to escape the bar fight. Yeah, like they're trying to get... Uh, and I remember, because it's, it's such a distinct piece of music and I actually like it very much. I think it's really entertaining. But it's so distinct and so not, nothing like anything else we, we, we've we heard on the soundtrack that I remember when it came up in Eye of the Phoenix, I was like, oh, that's fighting in the market. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> doing here two years later (laughs) they clearly went to the uh, stock barrel for that one because that was um definitely not written again but yeah the the gwayne's bar fight which i know momo likes is actually not the same it's like slightly different and it's a bit more um has more gaelic influences but yeah this fighting in the market theme is just it's it's so bizarre but it feels very medieval as well like it feels yes. like what they would play at like a medieval dance, which I kind of really like. It's like yeah. But it's, it's
0: that it's that modal key again. It's not yeah. really minor, it's not really major, it's modal and you can tell. No, I love it. But the the other thing is it's a rare example of action music that I enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I I do not like scary scenes, tense scenes, all that kind of stuff that has atmospheric stuff, you know, and the the dissonant chords and the jabby things. And I don't like that. I don't like it. It's like if I have, I will fast forward through every single one of those on a soundtrack because I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This tells a story.
3: Yeah, like, that's, that's what I
0: like about it is that it tells a story, and so it, that's why it fits so well in the, in the episode is because it's following along with the fight and it has its ups and downs and all that great choreography stuff goes right yeah. along with it. He did a really good okay. job. Um,
2: campy, like like I I yes. mean that in a bad bad way at all. It reminds me of like the sort of the the kind of silly like. Errol flynn-esque kind of serials of like yes! the like like and i mean that in a really great way in the sense yes! that like campy and like sort of unabashedly so like it's not like oh this is silly and stupid haha look at these idiots like it's very like just sort of campy
1: because it can be and it works it's just such a gem on the soundtrack but such an outlier to everything else that's on here but um kind of going off of what you said uh cello with the kind of deep eerie vocals because interesting enough, uh i do find the stuff that they did in valiant very interesting with the like that kind of stuff It, i don't know i found it like i don't think they overdid it i think they because didn't you say momo they only really use it in
3: this episode it's not really used again is it it's. I think it comes up in another season. I remember listening to the soundtrack and I. Th- I probably made a note somewhere in in my notes about it. It does come up again where I'm like, hang on, aren't these aren't these the vocals from Valiant? But, like the only time it's really prominent is in the Valiant episode and not even anywhere else. Like, if I think back to the show, there's no scene that comes to my where I'm like, oh, these are the Valiant vocals. I mean, they have used them again, but. I don't remember but yeah it's the I love this Valiant is the the Valiant theme is one of my favorites from the entire soundtrack I just I love it's this It's
1: very unique <laughs> because stuff. we have deep vocals used I'll bring them up when they come up cuz I actually do take note of them cuz it's so rare that you hear when you have a vocal soundtrack you usually have like what happens in most of these tracks and in the stuff that James Horner uh did um which is the very very soprano kind of sounding vocals. And you don't really get to hear the other side, the really bassy, like like really nice bassy vocals to go along with this kind of stuff. At least I don't hear it very often. And this is very bassy. It's almost like, wow, it feels like an instrument in itself. And well, when you have it in the episode, it's kind of not as noticeable when you just sit down and listen to it, especially with headphones. I think it's really, really cool. And it's a shame that we didn't see more of that theme but and 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 I guess that it was wasted on a villain like Valiant who was a little bit meh and it's a bit of a meh episode as well (laughs) (laughs)
0: well I, I was gonna say that I agree that many times you hear the boy soprano and that's beautiful and lovely and so such an amazing sound but it is it is fun to hear men singing and adding color um, and I don't mind that so much. It's the, it's the weird tense thing that never goes anywhere where they just sort of hold <laughs> you in suspense yes. for like five minutes. I'm like, just go somewhere with it. I don't yes. mind if it's discordant. I don't mind if it's really I have a son who sings bass and I love it. You know, um, it does. That doesn't bother me any. But it's it's the when they just hold you over the abyss for five minutes. Like, That's oh, true. come on. You're
1: so right. There's no real
0: climax. There's no
1: real story.
0: And that drives me nuts. Tell me a story. That's what music is supposed to do. It's supposed to tell you a story.
1: (laughs) And I mean, we'll get, I mean, one of my favorite tracks on the entire five seasons, and we'll get to it when we get to it, because I'm excited to talk about it, it does do exactly what you're saying. And that's, I think, why I find it so easy to listen to the whole thing. You're right. There are some tracks where even though I'm like, I mean, in theory, I like what they're doing here, but why am I just tempted to go to the next one? And it's probably what you're saying is that it all feels like it's doing the same thing three times, you know? Right. Yeah. Which is a shame.
0: It is a shame. And that's kind of what the scene is doing. So is it appropriate in the scene? Yes. Do you really notice it in the scene? No. And you are you know what? You're not supposed to. It's just supposed to influence your mood. It's supposed to make you sit on the edge of your seat. It's supposed to be background. So why do you put it on a soundtrack? That's what I don't get. Um,
1: Speaking of the uh, boy soprano, (laughs) um, Arthur's final battle. Because that is for me a beautiful piece of music i well i don't like the soundtrack version of it but the version it's a slightly because i i spent about 20 minutes trying to sync these up and they're not the same (laughs) so i was Uh like this is not the same track as we have in la de d'arthur when arthur's carried across the courtyard by his dad it's slightly different But, oh, my God, is that one of my favorite tracks from Merlin and in season one. I said it in the Mort de Arthur review. I was just like, that makes everything so much more like just that pang of pain when I see his dad trying to struggle to carry him across the courtyard. You've still got violence first. And then as he's carried off by the Knights, you get that eerie soprano which is the same one that we hear from valiant so it's kind of like a bookend of the season in a way and arthur's journey of you know kind of morgana sending him off to battle and then morgana looking down as he's you know been killed essentially and it's just a really beautiful eerie piece of music i know you like that one too don't you momo
3: i do i i've written down i love the epicness of the entire thing so and, yeah, I also wrote down that the vocals are clearly from Valiant. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: well. And I felt like, listening to the Season 1 soundtrack, I must have felt like there was a lot of uh, music that reminded me of Valiant because I made a note, did they even compose for any other episode? <laughs> Not... <laughs> no. <laughs> but I do want to point out that Arthur's
1: Final Battle is yeah is the soundtrack from um. Morgana putting on Arthur's armor and Arthur going to the tournament because you then hear the drums and you hear everything else. But the the variation of it that I'm talking about is not actually called Arthur's Final Battle. It's not it it's not on the soundtrack. Like it's just not there. But it's from Lamort to Arthur and they did use the same vocal effect and it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the
3: <laughs> it's you're true, you're right.
1: It's like, why is this at the end of the soundtrack? <laughs> why is this the last track or one of the last tracks? um but yeah so it's a it's a a gorgeous piece of music um are there any season one soundtrack things or
3: specific tracks you guys love that you want to bring up and discuss go ahead momo my absolute favorite piece from this from the season one soundtrack apart from the valiant theme which i also love is the witch's aria it's hands down my favorite piece from the season one soundtrack I've gone back and forth on what would be my favorite, this or the Valiant theme. But this is definitely my favorite. I just, I love this kind of epic diva kind of thing. Like, just to compare it, my favorite piece of the Fifth Element soundtrack is also the diva's dance. Oh, I love the
0: diva's
3: dance, yes. And this, The Witch's Aria, reminds me... Of it it's not quite as epic but it's still awesome and i love it i really really enjoy the witch's aria it's just so eerie and yet ethereal and and just like ghostly beautiful yeah yeah
1: and the it's only really time seductive. we have singing the only time we have singing in the yeah, actual yeah, yeah actual yeah.
3: singing yeah, yeah actual singing exactly um,
1: but this song sounds to me more like and i know they had a female singer do this but it sounds more like a choir boy when I listen to it, like a more mature <laughs> choir boy. But it's that it's that kind of singing where it's not really operatic because she's not projecting enough. It's really sitting right in the back of her throat. And it sounds like that kind of choir boy singing just with a bit more
0: vibrato. <laughs> it's and called it's... bel Canto. And yeah, that's exactly ah,
1: what it is. There, yeah. there you go. I didn't know it had a name. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> yep. Um, Transitioning into season two, because oh. we have, uh, we have a lot of um, Curse of Cornelius Segan things in here. The first one I wanted to touch upon was the attraction of evil. Because, This is a very long track, and there's a lot of really, really interesting things happening here, which I uh, talked about on the actual episode review. One of them being that when Merlin is being seduced by Cornelia Segan, we start to hear a darker, grittier version of the main theme coming through, which basically just makes my soul want to elevate out of my body, (laughs) because I'm like, he is being tempted enough that we have this kind of weird twisted version of his good quote-unquote music and I'm just like wow that is so amazing
2: yeah it, it definitely again it's one of the more impactful versions of the main theme and I think that th- that's one of the things that just because of um you know of how it worked out in later seasons and it was kind of a not disservice to the fans, but it, it felt a little bit like that, was that we didn't get more of that, like, exploration of what that theme could be in different contexts. And so this is, like, I don't know. It works really... You're right, it, it's... Because it's dark, it's weird, it's very, um, like, I don't know. It's... I don't I don't know what the exact word is for it, but, yeah, it definitely... it's I think it's the more... One of the more impactful, especially when it's Merlin. Because, like you would said, his sort of usual theme is very like light and so we get this like dark version of the main theme it's very like i don't know it's just interesting
1: it works amazing and it's barely noticeable when you watch the episode i mean i've been watching the episode for years and it was only until i watched it for listen that i even heard it which i guess is the but yeah but it's but when you hear it you're just like oh my god that That is like that is a variation on the main theme. And it's so strange to see it in that context. And it's just chilling. Um, But they're doing so many other amazing things in this track. Um, At the end of the track, which is in the episode when Merlin is um, kind of the the soul is coming out of the crystal and it's kind of making its way up and like he's kind of breathing it in. Like I said, it's that similar kind of thing of what we had with Lady Helen, but it's not quite that. It's this really irritating, whispery, high-pitched kind of...
0: Yeah, sort of of thing. This, yeah. It's
1: really cool, and it sounds like it's a soul trying to get into your body. It's really great. And then, you know, right after, like, when the crystal hits the ground, you have these, like, little, little tiny bells that are, like, ding,
2: ding, 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 ding,
1: ding, ding, ding. And it's, like... Oh my God, they're literally just telling you exactly what's happening in the scene and I can't even see it. It's like amazing. It's yeah. really amazing. I love this piece of music and it kind of sometimes goes under my radar even because it, it, it's kind of packaged in this big finale kind of like action sequence where there's a lot of very generic, beg your pardon, music happening. And then this happens and it's like, this is really great. It's <laughs> so great. What well, uh One of the pieces sort of one of my favorite pieces in season
2: two is uh, when Lancelot shows up mm-hmm. um, it, I, I don't know if it's just because that character for me I really uh, it's one of the beefs I have with this show is that I feel like he got shafted a little bit let's uh, have a drink <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> this could be a really nice chat well, oh. I, And I love <laughs> Lancelot and I especially love this version of the character because the character in the original legends, very, very different depending on writers, but also like very much like, Oh yeah, you're not, you're not good. You're a bad guy. Um, but the, the, the thing I love the, the, the when we, the sort of like, when Lancelot has to leave scene, when we, when we meet him and then, you know, he can't be there. Cause Arthur's like, sorry, dude, but, you know, that's the rules, and also, I'm sorry, bro. Um, it, I don't know. There's something, it's so... I think it's the theme, and not theme, necessarily, but it's the, like, motifs that that are in those pieces where Lancelot, and also a lot of interactions between Lancelot and Merlin, that I think it's the most fitting for any character on the show. It like, is, yeah. yeah it's beautiful. Most co- like it it really captures who he is and it's that would explain why i don't
1: like the piece. yeah i know you're not a fan i mean one thing i will say about this soundtrack is that whoever curated it was a lancelot fan because he has a lot of time spent on music with his name which i am a big fan of because god knows we didn't get enough of him in the show so give him his time to shine here because lancelot leaves and lancelot's heroism are two tracks on the season two and lancelot leaves is one of my favorite pieces and the only thing that irritates me about it is that or like or like his theme music in general is Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know ne- it—it's never really repeated. He doesn't really have a theme. Every time that we meet one of his themes, they're all quite right. different. Yeah, which well, is weird yeah. because it's not—it's not a theme,
2: so it's—it's it's odd because it's not like—it's not like some of the other characters that get more screen time who have like a theme. So like Merlin or even like Gwen and Arthur, it—it it like I don't—I don't know like, but there's but it's clear that. It's sort of... And I think that's maybe part of it, too, right? And, and maybe it wasn't intentional. It probably wasn't. But, like, the fact that he doesn't have, like, a one theme about him... Like I said, he got shafted a little bit. He's a complex character. They did not use him well. And, um, <laughs> like, I, I, I think the... You know, it is interesting because he uses a lot of the same, like, touch points. But it's never the same cohesive thing. Whenever... Yeah. That includes when we see him initially when he comes back when he saves Gwen you know the sort of I it it's never the same but I also I I know that irritates some people but at the same time I think maybe that kind of works a little bit because he's clearly again gets gatshafted as a character he clearly has grown a lot off screen from the time we initially see him and he's clearly been through stuff and I think that yeah I'm just reading into it because I really like Lance a lot, but I think that the I the the idea that like his his motifs keep changing and his sort of music keeps changing, especially when we get to his um death and oh yeah we'll get to uh, that it's so, so different. different it's so different and I think I think that works though because. What what is lacking in character development on screen? And I mean, I'm not saying this entirely makes up for it, but I'm saying it makes it a little pa- more palatable for me at least to be like, well, the the music at least when you see him, it's very it's it's very him, and it's changed and it's evolved, and even though we don't get like a main theme for him, it's very much like that's kind of okay because he. I, he's one of the more dynamic characters on the show. But, uh, I feel know. like I could, c- could cry
1: after that. <laughs> it's like well, making and... me so emotional just thinking about the way you've described that, that the music is kind of giving him almost the character development that we never got to see. I mean, in in Lancelot Leaves, I've actually written here that, you know, it's just such a testament to how you can do so many things with one instrument like the same instrument because i've said that these violins feel like they're in pain <laughs> like right. they really really do like you have these lulls and silences in the music where the violins pick up back up again and you don't always get that especially in merlin you don't really get silence and it's just oh it's such a good piece <laughs>
0: well, and i think that your comment about it being the character development i think that that the the disjointed nature of his motifs because we can't call it a theme
2: right, points yeah. to a
0: couple of things one is that the writers you know that Rowan Stevenson asked right what are, what you have in mind for this character and I expect that maybe the writers or the directors were like well he's going to come and go so you know something nice yeah and it's it's disjointed because They didn't use him a lot. He's the itinerant knight. He comes and he goes. And so they didn't put a lot of time into Mm -hmm. making a theme so much. And I expect that some of that growth that you're talking about that you see is because the composers are like, we like this character and we Mm -hmm. want to give him some growth. (laughs) They did it
2: for them. And it's also it shows up a little bit. That, I mean, not all of it, but, like, the you you, met, you mentioned the violins a lot and how dynamic and how useful they are for a lot of different things. When we get to the round table, oh, I, yeah. it you know, again, one of the... It's the sort of last hurrah of Lancelot, in my opinion, that sort of saga. It, you know, it sort of... I think that theme the the, or not theme but that specific track the round table track we we hear a little bit of the Lancelot theme more prominently than I think we hear some of the other stuff that could have been put in there and I don't and I don't know if that was intentional
1: maybe I'm just reading it I like to think that it was (laughs) um but I did want to just spend a tiny bit of time on the track that's Lancelot's heroism only because it's one of the only tracks that the Um, Bradley and and Colin commented on when they did the commentary for Lancelot and Guinevere. They were like, oh, oh, the music's really good here, isn't it? The music's really good. (laughs) That was like their... In depth <laughs> review of that, but what Colin said, which I think is so interesting, is says you know it's so cool at like how Rob manages to you know use these action scenes because the scene for for, uh, for those of you that aren't aware is when Lance and Gwen have their first kiss and then she runs away and then the track starts from when he turns around to then fight for her life essentially as the bandits are coming for him and. It, and he says, you know, these action sequences could easily be sort of like, you know, dun 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 dun, but doing it this way kind of makes it more emotional, like it's this big sacrifice, which of course he thinks it is until he sees that Gwen actually has been captured. But interestingly, with this track as well, you don't necessarily expect it when you first hear it, but it starts off with just kind of a really classical sort of sound. And then, like you said, uh, a cello, that it actually does kind of start to tell a story because you start to get more percussion in there. It has a bit more of a rhythmic quality to it, so you kind of feel the suspense growing. And then the actual track on the album is longer than what we get in the episode. The track on the album goes in a weird direction towards the end. (laughs) I'm not sure what they were doing with that, but in the actual episode, it just kind of ends on like a, big no and then we just cut to Arthur and Merlin climbing the wall but it's a beautiful track and I love that Colin brought it up when he was talking about the scene it's just I guess shows how you know it actually does kind of stand out in that respect um but
3: Mimo, I know you're not a big fan of these two themes why uh why is that I think it has something to do with um because I was just reading over my notes to see when in, when my opinion will be relevant, <laughs> because I have in my notes that I find the entire Gwen and author theme super cheesy and obvious. I love that theme, and I mean it's just. It for, it might be my my dislike of the ship in, in the Merlin canon that makes me feel this way about the song, but like every time I hear it I romanise as here we go again. And I feel like um in the Lancelot Leaves theme and in the farewell to Gwen there is uh there are like parts of the Gwen and Arthur theme which I assume is the Gwen part of these music pieces and it's just that what's that's what's making me go like ugh, (laughs) not this again basically (laughs) plus I really am not a big fan of Lancelot on this show so I tend to just be annoyed by everything that is attributed to him I just... Honestly, I find the strings so cheesy, so overused for this. So have um, you guys
2: ever listened to the Camelot soundtrack from the 1960s, the Richard Burton one? No, <laughs> no. Um, so I love that musical. I understand it's bad, um, but the one the the thing that kind of struck me about the cheesy love theme. That I, I do genuinely love that theme. I think I think it's great, and I love that it comes back in moments, especially towards the end of the show with the whole like Arthur having to 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 bring Guinevere out of the like darkness that Morgana's put her in. I, I it is very like the the way that that's supposed to make you feel is the sort of like underlying sadness of their relationship. Like I know it's cheesy. I don't know what it is about that theme in particular, but that to me, it's sort of like, I get that they're supposed to be in love and I don't really buy it because I just think their chemistry, not that it's bad, it just doesn't particularly work in my yeah. opinion. Like the Arthur and Gwen thing, it could never, like it can be, but it also can't ever really truly be because there's there's too much going on with other characters and with other things that like it could never really be like the full thing. So it's this very kind of almost like sad. Like it's not sad, but it sounds sad.
1: It's bittersweet. I see what you mean. It is like I don't have a huge issue with the theme. I think my issue with it is that whereas I said they didn't have enough repetition for the Lancelot stuff, to me this theme was just used to death. Like I think that's what it is. It's I think it's really beautiful. Um, It works for their first kiss, for sure, because it's this really big, sweet moment. But interestingly, on the soundtrack, what is called um, Arthur and Gwen is actually not that particular track. It's their scene in Curse of Cornelius Segan, again, um, where they're having that moment. And I think, uh, maybe, Cello, you'll be able to tell me if this is true. Is it harps that we're hearing there? It's that kind of...
0: Probably, I will admit that this was such a, I don't want to say postage stamp, but it kind of is song, in that it, it hits particular notes, it's very rote. And so truthfully, while it's very sweet, and I like that it's kind of, the, that bittersweet thing, and I agree it's totally overused, I, I usually just kind of jump, even though it's only 55 seconds, I usually just kind of jump past it, because like, now nah, I already know that one. So yeah. I don't, honestly... <laughs> remember but it probably is harps yes it's schmoopy schmoop i mean (laughs) teeth rotting sweet violins but it works because that's the point right right yeah yeah i guess that's it's really it really is iconic and and it's a it's slow enough and i think everyone likes the runs you know it has those beautiful runs in it um that just sound gorgeous it's beautifully played um So I get it. I think
1: the runs are what make me think of the main theme. I think it has this similar kind of runs and they sound very similar that it makes me think that it's almost like a variation of the main theme, which I know it's not entirely, but I, but I think it is those recognizable kind of runs, which I guess maybe they're trying to tell us something with that. I don't know. Um, But, you know, speaking of trying to tell us something, I think that, you know, it would be remiss of me to speak about the Arthur and Gwen theme without bringing up Lancelot and Guinevere because I, and look, I get that not everything that people do in media is trying to tell you something because sometimes you just need a piece of music and this is what you have. On the other hand, music is supposed to tell you something. So either we read into the fact that they used Arthur and Gwen's music when Lancelot and Gwen have their first kiss and that's meant to mean something to the audience, or we read it as Rob didn't have time to write a theme for them. <laughs> but I don't know which one it is, and that's and that's what happens when you kind of have a situation like this where it's the exact same theme, I think and what are we supposed to do?
0: You know, yeah, I have an interesting fine. thought on this, and it's that I think the Lancelot Leaves um, theme is so heavily based on the Gwen Arthur one because the Gwen Arthur theme is really Gwen. Yeah. It's really about Gwen. And it's about Gwen with Arthur, and it's about Gwen with Lancelot. It's not about Arthur, and it's not about Lancelot. It's about Gwen.
3: Yeah, that explains why the the theme, like I said, comes back in a couple of other pieces with Lancelot, because it's, it's Gwen. Yeah,
0: weirdly, we care more about it. The emotional lens we're supposed to be looking at this through is Gwen's emotional lens, not Arthur's and not Lancelot's, but Gwen.
2: Right which I
0: think is really interesting because we're supposed to care more about Gwen than we do Arthur. He's like, Arth- he's, he's Arthur.
1: Once in Future Queen has a really exceptional piece of music, which I'm really glad is on the soundtrack. And it's actually called finale. <laughs> um, it goes from Lance, Ong- um, uh, I've now got Lancelot on my mind. Um, Arthur and Gwen's first kiss, um, which doesn't have its own track. It's just a part of this big, long episode ending. And it goes straight into the jousting where we get this beautiful operatic action sequence, which we discussed in the episode review because it was very apparent. And it reminds me almost like of Two Steps from Hell, you know? It's that kind of like, here comes the king kind of jumpy kind of vocals and then you have that moment where merlin does the spell that undoes my like um saddle and it just goes quiet and then the like score comes back in again and it's just it's so great and that is the kind of vocal work that i thought was unique it was one example of where i thought it was incredibly unique and loved it and it wasn't used for like sadness or creepiness it was just used for action and it's like oh this is i like this it's not like anything else we've heard, and they don't do it ever again. This kind of vocal work.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I have a note on that as well. I I wrote down for the finale. It literally starts with the Arwen theme, <laughs> and then I go and then my note says the upside is <laughs> that you have eight more minutes of this piece to forget about the Arwen theme. <laughs> um, and I feel like this actually is well, I mean it is. It is from the from the assassin' scene, so it feels more like an like I know it's called finale and if you think about it in terms of the um once in future Queen episode it is, but given that it's the last piece on the soundtrack, it is a bit like misleading because I would have assumed that it's you know finale of the season. And when I listened to it I was like it feels more like an overture than an end. Yeah. You know? absolutely. Because there are other themes that show up in this in this eight minute, nine minute long thing <laughs> that, that just capture the entire season or at least a couple of episodes. And so and then around at about I think it's at about seven and a half minutes in it's this vocal bit that then transitions into something almost like the theme song, yeah. and I really like that that part. I really enjoyed that, so yeah. I think that's the same one you were talking about rocks. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. So the only other thing I wanted to quickly quickly bring up with season two is like, is it that classic like do 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 kind of music that we have, which I think is kind of uh brought into with the the forged seal, we kind of that, yeah, that yeah, yeah that's sort of where we yeah. have it, and it's and it's you know integrated into the seasons uh, to come as well, and it's just kind of iconic for me because it's kind of what I always think about when I think of season two is those moments, and I I I talk about the music all the time, and yeah, it's just that <laughs> I think it's it's, it's um, the caper music,
0: yeah, that's what they use for all their capers, from it actually, and the forged seal is actually from season one
2: yeah.
0: um and it did not make it into the season one soundtrack and i'm trying i have a note nope i don't have a note there where do i have my note sorry digging um anyway uh but it's it's from season one it's when he copies this landslot it's when he copies the of course <laughs> when he copies the 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 knight's seal yeah that's yeah. what it's from and and they use it for the rest and that's their caper music when merlin is up to no good when he solemnly swears he is up to no good that's the music <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: one of my favorite instances in which they use it again it's the using it for the comedic beats again this is why having the full episode is so important it's in the one of my favorite comedic scenes in merlin is when merlin and gaius are trying to explain to arthur how the uh sleeping potion will work in beauty and the beast part two and merlin's tidying up behind him and it just starts with so your great plan is to kill me then but the music doesn't start until the end and it's just sort of like um uh merlin will have half an hour to get it to you and then it's like and if he doesn't then you will be dead and it's just like getting those beats with that little (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's just, and like i think there's a dunt when arthur's head comes up when when guys because once merlin has administered the poison uh the potion and his head just comes <laughs> up on it, a brilliant. so that is yeah it's like you said it's the marauders music i solemnly swear i'm up to no good i i, I just love it And I don't feel like we get to have moments like that in season five or anything, but season two, I always feel like we get so many of those beautiful scenes and, and, and of course in three as well. Um, Are there any other season two things that you, like, I know there's season two music in the other, um, in the other albums, but from this album, is there anything else that
0: you guys wanted to touch upon? I love Gaius Arraigned. Oh, yes. That is an example of men's voices being used to beautiful effects. I, then I just it's sad and it's dramatic and it tells the story of him you know being tried and and I and I love it um what else Lancelot's heroism hiding Excalibur
3: yeah that's a good one iconic I I like I like Myra the assassin because of the choral vocals and the disembodied female opera voice I'm just I'm here for this stuff that's that's my thing. And, and I have
0: a couple of themes that are not on this soundtrack that are from the season that show up later.
1: Yeah, yeah me too. So I'll talk about those when we actually uh, get to them. So, season three, uh, they didn't really change it up too much, I think, in this season. It's um. still pretty the same, except I think in these action sequences, they really start to use those vocals. A lot. And I'm thinking specifically of, um, where is it? Uh, Merlin and Peril,
3: which is,
1: yeah. And it's, which I actually wanted to point out for the first time, I think they're actually singing in Latin here, which is also, I mean, it sounds like it's Latin. And it's really, really cool because I think this is the first time we have like kind of recognizable words being used yeah, sort of. I, I can't. I, I took three years of Latin. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it just has that. La- like, I don't know if it's Latin, but it has that sound where everything ends with an us. You it know? Def- sounds like church music. Like, you know, yeah, Gregorian chant music, which I don't not That's not a diss. It just kind of, it has that vibe about it. I just thought, oh, that's so cool. I really haven't heard that anywhere else. Like, okay. I do feel like they were being a, just a tiny bit more experimental here than maybe they were being in season two. Um Uther and Morgana reunited again, very different theme to anything we've heard before. But this is unfortunately a situation where I'm like, okay, these vocals are actually getting on my nerves. It was a bit too much for me. This big choral, like chant, as they run towards each other with the golden light, and I love Uther and Morgana, and I cried when this scene happened for the first time. But I was just like,
0: ah, that's yeah, a lot of, a little music. too much, <laughs> a
1: little bit too much. Um, I mean, what do you guys think of the more evil t- tones to the? soundtrack here in terms of all of the tracks that have anything to do with Morgana because Morgana hasn't really been given a theme which is a big problem I think it's kind of um
2: it's almost a little bit goofy (laughs) like like I mean it's supposed to be menacing and I don't know if this is just because I it's supposed to be not menacing it's supposed to be I I think like I don't know elegant or something like that and it 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 comes off as a little like (laughs) <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> you know it comes off as like ah look my evil lair and it's you know it's, it's...
0: The, the mustache twirling the mustache twirling was pretty extreme yeah
2: it comes across as that and i maybe i mean i think maybe for a different villain that would have worked but because morgana's a lot a lot complicated very complicated um it, it doesn't i don't think it really hits what it's supposed to do I, you know it's just that's me though
0: I, I think that Morgana suffers from the needing to be seen through other characters' lens as yeah. well, um, yeah like that's... like Lancelot and that she doesn't she doesn't have her own theme because we're constantly seeing her as she relates to the other characters as she relates to Uther as she relates to Arthur as she relates to Merlin. yeah, we don't really see her, and yeah. I'm wondering how much of that is that it was a bunch of guys writing everything
2: yeah. That's
1: that's true. I mean, we do have this creepy piano thing going on, especially in um Treachery, which to me is the most kind of indicative Morgana theme for season three. Uh, It's I think when she's leaving the castle for the first time. Um, I can't remember if that's exactly where it is, but I think it's somewhere like that. And you have this kind of creepy piano. I don't think there's much vocal work going on there, but it's that. So it does feel a little bit recognisable, but yeah, it's not like Arthur's theme, like Merlin's theme, like Gwen's theme. She's just kind of left with no music, just like she was left with no character development. <laughs> and it's just really, really disappointing. Um, yeah, really disappointing. Even Morgos' theme, which, we'll, which I'll get to when, I think that's in season four, actually, um, is more interesting than hers. And I'm just like, really, really? goes is a secondary character. Right. The, you know,
2: yeah. Um, this is sort of jumping ahead a bit, but this is we get to meet Gwayne this season, and Yay! it's great. And the swashbuckling theme is on point, and the uh, bar fight one is great. And I, I really, I really love that, and the melee too, because you kind of hear, yeah, the, it, you know. I mean, you don't hear, obviously, you don't hear the like Pirates of the Caribbean esque <laughs> theme in that, but it definitely, I don't know, has Gwen written all over it. Well, so. there's more, well,
1: well, I would argue, and I don't know a lot about this kind of stuff, but I definitely am hearing some kind of Gaelic influences in this theme, in the um, Gwen's Barb, bro- God, that's a tongue twister. Like, bar Gwen's Barb Brawl.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you, you do. You hear the fiddle at the beginning. Yeah. And, yeah, that sets the tone, it's, and it's a little silly, and it's lighthearted.
3: I was I was listening to this, and I wasn't looking at the, at the track because I had it on in the background, like I said. And I heard this, and before looking up what the track was called, without remembering where it is from in the show, I went, this sounds like someone's in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and I was right. right. They've accomplished what their job was to do, which was to not only set the mood, but tell you what's happening, so... I guess yeah and this is this is i mean you mentioned pirates of the caribbean i wrote down as a similar example um robin hood men in tights because i had watched <laughs> that only only days before i was listening to the score where they also have similar sequences with similar music right. and honestly i want to say that the comparison isn't even that far-fetched between queen and men <laughs> exactly <Tights. laughs> And I also wrote down that in this in this piece there is a 100% better use of string instruments than literally any of the romantic tunes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the the violence in this reminded me of a piece on the Stardust movie yes! score that has also this adventurous sound to it, and I love that. This is how yes. I like strings to be used. One, one of the other pieces that sort of
2: comes. Right after this, and you mentioned the better use of strings than in any other part of the show. Oh God, uh, the the Freya theme. Yes, uh, I I it's such an odd thing because I want to like it more than I do.
0: <laughs> I have a very specific <laughs> section of it that I like.
1: I oh my God, I'm literally I think I know what section you're going to talk about, but go ahead, I'll let you because I'm just going to start crying. So very, as well. Now
0: I, I have it. I have it written down. Where did I write it down? Um, I, it, yeah, it's it, it has to be after a particular time mark. Um, yeah. It's at the very, very, very end. Yes! And when it picks up, okay. yeah. the piano. It Actually, it's the bit just before the piano. Yeah. When he confesses to Gaius, she's gone, she's dead. And He says, yeah. I'm so sorry. And they're standing there in the light from that window. But the piano picks up when he's sitting there polishing that enormous oh rope. Oh, my God. And it's Arthur trying to cheer him up from a, what he thinks is he's done something to make Merlin sad. And it's them. And that it makes me cry every time. Oh, I'm literally there's tearing else. up if you're talking about you know, it. Else we hear that. We hear it again. We hear it Do when we... he reveals his magic to Gilly and sees. And oh, in, yo, it,
1: no, you're right. Shit. When, I always forget when when he... about that one.
0: And, and I, and I remember that because I burst into tears, not only because of the acting and, and the fact that he's actually revealing his magic to someone, which he never does, except for to Gilly. He doesn't even intentionally reveal it to Lancelot. Lancelot just figures it out because he's smart. Yeah. Um, and so, but that I actually wrote, I actually wrote to, was it Rowan Stevenson and said, please tell me that this is going to be on the series two soundtrack. And he actually wrote me back. I ha- I got <laughs> he actually replied to my email. Um, and he still has the um he has the clip up on his website. Uh, he was really really sweet about it. But um, yeah that's it's that but just that part.
1: I really wanted to take just a bit of time to pay homage to that piece of music because I think the 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 Freya theme can feel a bit bloated with the instrumentation but what I find most heartbreaking about it is actually like you said the fact that the theme that actual theme it doesn't change it just changes instruments into the piano and like you said you know with yes we hear it again with Gilly but up until that point and past that point for all that time we don't hear it and the fact that they you know you don't Normal. It's so quiet in the background of that moment where they're sitting there in his chambers and they're talking and it picks up slightly at the end, you know, when he's actually laughing and, you know, he's actually managed to make him laugh. And the fact that we have a love theme, which was a love theme, that is not only used through that moment when she's dying, but it's transitioning into a scene between Merlin and a parental figure. And it's the same love theme, romantic love theme that then transitions into the scene between him and Arthur. And, you know, the fact that his grief is so strong that, you know, even Arthur picks up on it and thinks it's something he's done. And it just weaves it all together so beautifully that I honestly, like you said, I'm so grateful that it's on the soundtrack at all. And I'm so happy that it, allows it to continue because when you first hear freya you 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 think it's going to end when she dies and it carries on on the soundtrack to that piano and like you said i get chills i'm having chills like having this conversation and the way you just described it like it's honestly just made me so emotional i can't wait to talk about the the scene when we do lady of the lake because that scene um not just for the music but for everything that you also mentioned a cello is my favorite merlin and arthur scene nothing else that they did after that ever surpassed it nothing in the finale ever surpassed it for me it's my favorite and that piano just makes everything so much better and sometimes simple is best sometimes that's all you need and it's and it's the perfect combination of notes it's the perfect you know volume ah it's so great it's my favorite piece of music in merlin And that is just, I absolutely love it. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you brought it up and that you feel the same. It's just amazing. Um, I just wanted to quickly, before we move on to season four, or, like, uh, before we give final thoughts about season three, Seducing the Pixie.
0: I love that one. That's the other caper music. That's their paper music. They the use string, that all the time. Not, but the strings in this one. Again,
1: <laughs> what a way to use strings. Because it sounds like some old Parisian guy on the side of the road being like, come to me. It's sort of that you
2: mentioned see the Pixie. Again, the strings that were the like caper music. I can't help but think of the scene. With the, the princess that Arthur is, like, magic love potions. Yeah.
0: Yes, it's that's de- in there, that's that's Destiny and Chicken. Yeah, that's yeah. the Pixie. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's the same, it's roughly the same thing. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, it isn't. Never mind, it isn't. I have a note about that one. Arthur and the Madness of Love is yeah. Destiny and Chicken, <laughs> and that Destiny one and is chicken. hilarious. That shows so up a lot, too. Silly. So Yeah. Silly. Um... <laughs>
1: Maimo, do you have any other Season 3 tracks that took your fancy, per se?
3: Yes, I do, actually. I also like the string work in Morgana is Close mm-hmm. to Death. Yes. And honestly, just when I wrote this note, I was like, I had already liked Queen's bar brawl with the strings, and now Morgana is Close to Death, and I made a note, maybe I just really like dislike Lancelot and Aruan too much to even like any music associated with them. And that's why I dislike their their violin so much. Hmm. I might see I might see a trend emerge there. Um I made a note about Goblin Guys yeah. Because why is it always the flutes and the brass instruments when we have a quirky character <laughs> or something And like that? The like <laughs> It just it works, but it's very noticeable like that—that that this is done. The flutes don't get the sad tracks. The flutes don't. <laughs> the flutes. The stuff. flutes get to be the flutes get to be goblins. Well, I
0: I loved the farting princess. I have to say yeah. that one was just—it's <laughs> playful and it's funny and it it tells yeah. a little story. It's another one of those little stories. Not very long. It's only about a minute and a quarter long, but it, it's it's just funny.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, I do also like Sword in the Stone because it sounds nice and epic and like the trumpets in there really grab my attention. And it's at first it's a bit reminiscent of the title theme and then meanders into something slow and eerie and sort of quiet and also a little bit sad. And I really well, like that. The ending
1: that's amazing, was- that's amazing on that one is that. <pedestrian marching> and then when he actually puts the sword in, I'm like, oh, my God, that is. <organize> <x2> <UU child> uh, but where, where else has that been used? I'm sure it's been used somewhere else in the show. Or is it just in that scene?
2: Uh, is I. It, is it used later on with Excalibur? Like <gasps> Excalibur related stuff? I can't remember. Yes.
0: Is yeah. It, it, I, I, right. You know, the very end of it might be used. Honestly, at the very end, the very end, 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 where he throws it in the lake. Yes! Yeah. That's when it. he gives back to the lady, the man, yeah. the lady. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> and, man. You mentioned that. It's a, a man's life. hand. <laughs> I got mean just so much. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you, you mentioned that, someone
2: mentioned that the, that it was it's a little bit sad, and I think that's ah. definitely, yeah, it definitely is at the end of the show, because it's sort of also it's sad in that moment, which I think is telling of just what that means, like what the appearance of Excalibur means. It's the like kind of, I mean, this is a rough metaphor, but the final nail in the coffin of where
1: Arthur's destiny acts. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! I <think> we <laughs> never thought about it that way. That in trying to save Arthur by creating Excalibur, he signed his death warrant.
2: Yeah, a little uh, bit.
0: A
1: little bit. A little bit. Jeez. It-
2: it's that sort of, but, like, it's also, I mean, it's hopeful. It's hopeful in the sense that, like, it's not necessarily the man, but, like, what the man does is the most important thing about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of the, mm-hmm. it's it's hopeful, yet it's also a little bit sad because, like, you know what it means. Like, just from the fact that you're a human being on Earth who can speak English, you understand that, like, what that The appearance of this magical, mystical sword with the most power, the
1: most well-known king of all time. (laughs) Right. So, so, uh, moving on into season four, what I wanted to do is cover the tracks, or like whatever tracks we want to cover that we that are kind of in season four, and then we can talk about whatever was kind of left because there are some gems on here that you know weren't in season four but are on this album. So, the one I think that we kind of touched upon earlier, but really. Deserves some love. Sorry, Momo. I know that. I mean, but maybe you'll enjoy this one more than the others, but it's Merlin Berry's Lancelot because uh, yes. oh, it's just like nothing that we've heard since before or ever. It's just kind well, of.
0: I should point it, out it's a totally different composer. Yeah. I can't probably say Mikhail Pavlicek, I'm guessing.
1: I think that's a Czech name by the looks of the accent. I don't know. But, yeah, it's a he, – he does – an absolutely stunning job with this it 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 just builds again but I will say you do have the same kind of thing going on like you did with Lancelot Leaves where it has those lulls that I was talking about it had the silences and then it builds and then you have a silence and then it builds and you start with just one string and then by the time you have the actual campfire it's kind of like and it's just it, it builds so beautifully, and the melody is completely unique. It's not reminiscent of the main theme in the slightest. And in my head, to me, I like to think this is who he is. This is his theme. Is that that melody? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Again, the character development in the song, in the music, is what we get, and it and it and it works. It really, it genuinely you know, if not flushes out the character, it definitely builds upon what is already there and it it definitely cements kind of who he is. Uh,
1: The one that I... Okay, now you guys may have to help me out with this because I don't know if this was actually... If this began in season four, if we've heard it since, but um, this is a joint favorite track of mine with the ending of Freya's theme. It has been popping up on Tumblr many times as its own little sound post. People love it. It's insanely popular in this fandom for a very good reason, and that is the bond of sacrifice. Yeah. Oh,
0: I can tell you why. <sighs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, it shows up a lot. Um, bond of sacrifice is what you're hearing when um Balinor dies in Merlin's arms.
1: That's the and one. And Bond
0: of Sacrifice is what you're hearing when Arthur dies in Merlin's arms. It's the is same. Is it
1: though? Because I it thought it was slightly different when Arthur it, dies. It's
0: a variation, but it is basically the that same one. song. I went and I listened to it.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> I was trying because I listened to the death scene to try cuz I knew that there was no season 5 soundtrack. I wanted to see if I could at least talk about it. And it felt like that long choral note, it was higher. It was slightly it different was... in the
0: death scene. It was louder. Right. Okay. It, it was the same choral note, but louder.
1: This theme, to me, I have, and you know, I know it shows up with Balanor, but I, I think parts of it also show up throughout season five with Merlin and Arthur scenes. One of them, I think, being the campfire scene in Arthur's Bane. I think again, don't quote me on that, but I'm, I, I think part of it shows up. It's a, like you said, it, it, it pops up in a few places it's to me a very recognizable track and I have said it since I first heard it and I say it now to me this is the Merthyr theme this to me is what is their theme and whenever I hear it I see them and it makes me teary and it gives me chills and to me like whoever wrote it I really do feel like they were thinking about their dynamic and even the name, it's kind of perfect. And it's like, you know, there is no theme on here. That's called Merlin and Arthur's theme. You know, we have themes named after many things, but to me, it's almost like even the name of this, the bond of sacrifice, it, it, it feels like they want to say this, th- this is their theme. And I'm just like, it's perfect. That's perfect use of vocals, perfect use of strings. Everything about it is so perfectly balanced. And I, I, have no i i cannot say enough good things about this theme it's absolutely stunning
2: it is it's a fantastic mix of the sort of softness of merlin's kind of vibe and the kind of like i think the the the, like not like the very like present vibe that a lot of like the arthur theme gives off like a ideas give off it's the sort of like gentleness and present and then like it is very sad because it is their theme like you know say you know whatever you say about that ship it is definitely it definitely is them like it's both of them as a group which is very interesting for when it happens because you're right it, the campfire scene is kind of when it pops up is, is when I remember it popping up a little bit and it's this kind of like it's sad because you know like, the audience is in on more than both of those characters are, and so you know what that... that Like, the way it sounds definitely... It not only comes you in, but it, it just cements the fact of, like, what, like, the dynamic is, and, like, that sort of leading into season five, this is, you know, that's it. Like, yeah, it, it's the sort of finality of it a little bit. Like, it's soft and it's sweet, but it's also a little bit, like... It's the bittersweetness. It's of a... sad. Yeah. And it's well, awesome. and,
0: and if you've picked up that it was also when Balinor died, they are foreshadowing so heavily. Here yeah. he is having a conversation with someone and the music that's playing is the music that played when he held his father in his arms as he died. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't think this episode was going to give me this many feels, you guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I don't actually think there's any season four stuff on here
0: now. Is there?
1: It's just
0: uh, well, well, old stuff. Oswald. Um, um, well, the the grain one is kind I too. of. No, the is,
1: no, the grain I think is when Arthur meets a in season two because you have that darkness creeping in when she's talking about how. She's yeah, like, it sounds yeah.
0: it sounds eerie and sad. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. I really really like that one. Excellent. Um, Excellent.
1: The vocal work on that, that's another example where I really didn't mind it. It's extremely feminine, and it's bright, and it's sad because she's dead.
3: <laughs> you know, it's really good. Right. It's reminded me a lot of, I couldn't tell you which one, but it's reminded, like, as I was listening to it, I was like, did I accidentally slip into the Lord of the Rings yeah. score? Because it sounds a lot well, like Lord of the Rings in places. I
0: know one that's that's from season four. The, the, the Rohan a little bit.
2: Yeah, probably, when, Rohan, yeah. when when he's standing at the burial mound of his son, it's, mm, the, and yeah. it's that kind of, like, it's the, like, ghostly kind of, like, it's a place of, like, being sacred, but it's it's very, I don't know, there's a heaviness to it. Even though it's light, even though it's kind of light, it, there's a heaviness
0: to it's it. It's wistful, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
2: So that's the, you mentioned Lord of the Rings, that totally, yeah, that definitely has the same kind of, like, especially with that with Rohan and the sort of like Mm -hmm. bad you know composition of that
0: um so one that I'm pretty sure is actually from this series (sighs) I could be wrong but the Knights of the Round Table is in this um yeah
1: was that was that not when they get knighted though is that not No, no no
0: this is when they find the table so that's the end of series three isn't it yeah
1: so it's not
0: it's also not, I do love that
1: one that's one of my favorites. Uh, it is amazing. It's very long as well isn't it. It's a really nice long piece of music. It's absolutely it stunning. Um and yeah, I have also written here it feels to me like a mix between the uh main theme and uh the bond of sacrifice. Yeah. The, that section. It starts out a bit like bond of sacrifice, delicate and then it kind of goes into um goes into the main theme which is just yeah i mean you could read into that you know a lot but it's a very long piece of music a lot of really interesting things happening in there um kind of as well that reminds me of old pieces of music is arthur asked to lead because i think this actually is from the tears of uther pendragon i think yeah yeah Yeah. and i when i heard it and obviously i i kind of semi-binged listen to this soundtrack over the course of like a certain number of days. But I immediately was reminded of the burdens of duty, but it felt more mature already. It didn't feel so overpowering. It felt like it had a bit more direction. And that just, again, to me, it just spoke volumes. I was like, this is impressive. This is so impressive. The fact that they can make me feel like he's already grown up so much just because of the way that they're playing this. And I don't think it's the same theme as The Burdens of Duty, but it, it, it felt so reminiscent of it that I was like, this is definitely Arthur, but this is definitely older Arthur. And I was like, that is incredible. Of all of the tracks that they decided to add onto the season four list, I will say, and we don't need to go into it in too much detail. I'm just laughing because, again, whoever curated the soundtrack owns my heart because Lancelot's Fight, again, which is from season one. Right. is in this list he just keeps popping up in every single album
3: and I'm not bad about it they also put one for a labyrinth of Gedra <laughs> yes. in there and on Spotify I don't know if this is just a Spotify thing but it's spelled incorrectly <laughs> it is it's the it's the labyrinth of get dressed yes. with a th at the end on Spotify, no, they, they which it, it should they not be. Got it be.
0: wrong on iTunes too. I suspect that's a, that's a typo that's actually on the album. Got it wrong. It's on been it. so long they forgot to spell how to spell it. But no, <laughs> one of my other favorites on here, and it shows up a lot, is Arthur and the Madness of Love, and it's actually from Sweet Dreams, and it yeah. is hilarious. It shows up, it shows up in funny things, but it's the one that's playing. Destiny and Chicken. It's amazing. It's <laughs> amazing. Is, I just... That, that scene makes me laugh every time. I'm sorry. And the music is a big part of that. He, he,
1: he really is a very eclectic composer. You know, he can do a lot of different things, and you wouldn't think that that kind of music is the same as, you know, for example, something like Morg- um, Morgos' Magic, which is one of my favourite pieces of the sinister stuff, the evil stuff. It... I don't know what he's doing with the sound here, but it sounds like, like the instruments are trapped in a well or something. It's not it's not as easy to, you know, I mean, I would argue it's not easy to score anything, but it's not as easy, I think, to score a TV show as it is a film, for example, where you, not only do you know exactly where, you, where your characters are going by the end, you know, you get the whole thing at once, but also it's, I just think you can really be very, very tight and specific Whereas with a show, you just have so many more hours, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I don't envy any of them. And I think they, they really did um, an incredible job. Some of the, you know, some of these, yeah, like. I'll be honest. There are ones that I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, like another, another one of the same, but like we've said, some of these pieces move me to tears, the Freya theme, the bond of sacrifice theme, any of the really amazing vocal work, you know, even, you know, the, Witch's Aria, which, you know, Momo loves it's, you know, it's just so unique. There are some really unique pieces in these, in these albums. And I'm just annoyed we didn't get a season five one, but I mean, I guess just really briefly does. Does anyone from their knowledge remember any unique season five pieces of music that we didn't get put onto an album or were they basically all just recycled?
0: There was one that I noticed um, and it was because I was looking up the bond of sacrifice thing and verifying that's actually what it was. But you get to the very end of episode 13 series five um, timestamp. I even have it written down forty four nineteen. It's not in any of the soundtracks. It's a solo vocal rendition of the call of destiny. And it's when, Merlin is sending the boat to Avalon. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Whew. And <laughs> next, I, you know, if you wanted to reduce a fandom to tears, another one um, that, that would have been one to put in, but it's not new in that it's not a new theme. It's not a new motif. It's simply a new rendition of an established theme and I think maybe part of the reason nothing sticks out for us is because season five was full of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where it, they didn't have to hire anyone. They just right. Did it. Yeah.
1: I it, never noticed that that was that I have to now go and like, actually listen out for it. I've never heard it. And what a beautiful way to end the show. Rox's life. And might add my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All All the... at the end of season five though we have this um, I don't know if it's anywhere on the soundtrack either but it's this when Gwen is being crowned it's this screaming vocal just this like piercing vocal sound that doesn't really sound like it's much of a melody of any kind it's just just a noise really and it gets louder and louder as we you know move in on Gwen's face and then it just cuts off and we and we see the isle of Avalon. I don't think that's been anywhere else before also the you, you mentioned the he's sending Arthur off on
2: the boat. The thing about that that I think really got me to cry was the flute, the like sad wooden flute <laughs> that is being used mm-hmm. like it, it, i I don't know if it's just because it's like it, uh, there's something about that sound of like it sounds like it's crying i mean it's it's also I mean it's final. You know, it's very, like, this, this that flute, and, like, of how simple it is, is very, like, this is the end. You know, like, I mean, it's the end, but also, like, it's, this is the end of one chapter, who knows what's gonna happen next, sort of thing. I, I don't know, it just, it really, that hit home
3: pretty hard. I'm glad that the flute didn't just get used for comic relief, mm-hmm. that the flute actually got... Some, some heaviness yeah. to well, it I think part of
0: that too is because the flute was Merlin's um, yeah. instrument back with it. Merlin Lost
3: yeah. well on that note
1: <laughs> now that you guys have managed to make
3: me cry Merlin <laughs> well, manages to be sad every time I'm, it makes me happy <laughs> honestly we just we keep reminding people that Arthur is dead and he died in Merlin's arms while the bond of sacrifice was playing <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that this conversation about score is one that we're going to keep having as we keep doing episode reviews, because obviously, you know, there are many pieces that you don't necessarily get to hear much on the soundtrack or that weren't on the soundtrack at all. So we I mean, I definitely listen out for them. I know Momo also occasionally like hears a little thing that she likes and she mentions it. But I always try to bring the score forward whenever I think it's particularly noteworthy, because um, I love music. You guys have honestly just given so many amazing points today. I can't even thank you enough for like sharing all of this incredible information. So thank you very, very much for all your thoughts on the soundtrack.
3: And now we're all very sad. <laughs> so maybe to cheer us up, let's do the favorite section. Yes, sure. Let's start with overall favorite piece of the score. Bond of sacrifice. Easy. <laughs>
0: Well, I was gonna say that's tough. I'm sort of like Momo. I'm too much of a Libra, and that I like everything. But um, so, like, Bond of sacrifices way up there. Freya from for the Mark 440 onward. <laughs> and but for a whole piece, aside from burdens of sacrifice, hiding Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Just because it's so iconic. What about you, Grace? Um, Favorite overall.
2: Um I'm going to go with the um I'm going to go with basically Lancelot the like first time he leaves Camelot that's probably
3: my favorite piece. Yours was the witch's aria wasn't it Momo? Probably. I I would say if I had to pick one it would probably be the witch's aria, yeah. Uh,
1: favorite funny scene or funny piece of music. I think any of the caper stuff, but I think seducing the pixie for me is was yes. just like I said those strings just made me think of someone badly seducing someone. <laughs> that it was the best perfect. part.
0: The best part, you know, I, I went and I dug around trying to figure out why I. Okay, so in the Death Song of Uther Pendragon, the bit where they're looking for Uther and Leon stumbles on them. and yeah, What yeah. are you doing? Poetry. <laughs> That's seducing <laughs> pixie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that it should be seducing pixie. <laughs> and Leon's like poetry. <laughs> I thought it was too funny.
2: Any the, is the Gwayne bar fight, just that, that one. I, I know it's like action-y, but it's very fun and it's sort of funny because it's just a little bit silly and weird and I kind of, I, I dig it.
3: All right. Favorite sad
1: scene? Freya, for sure. I mean, the whole thing sounds very sad to me, but just, yeah, especially, especially the ending. It just, oh, uh, it's gutting it's absolutely gutting but in the best way
2: mine mine is the um and this is i believe this is in season four and this is something that we didn't actually mention before but it's the scene where arthur is talking about he's he's it's basically along the lines of he's like how can i love someone who's betrayed me and it's the scene where he's like holding the ring and he's just in his quarters and it's like Everything's in shadow, kind of. It's up for him and Merlin, and it's that kind of like underlying, like yes, it's the kind of underlying love theme, but it's also the like Merlin Arthur theme a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know that the sort of like the the wispiness and like the kind of quietness of it. That's probably my favorite sad like music. Like there's not, it's not super noticeable, and he's so I, I don't know. That definitely is probably my favorite sad moment.
3: Okay. Then Favorite scary scene. <laughs> scary. <laughs> See, scary. I went for this. So the
2: Dark Tower I don't that's an episode that I quite like and it's very weird. Um the scene where it's Gwen in the in the like dungeon tower thing and it's completely silent. I know there's no music but it's completely silent except for her breathing and like water drops. But it's not a whole lot of water drops. It's only like one or two. I don't know that scene where it's just quiet and then all of a sudden yeah. one there,
1: looking like she's gonna eat Gwen. Um, <laughs> so. oh, um, I don't. I've never really been scared by Mer- <laughs> so I he said. <laughs> which is why I love it because it's like not triggering at all. Um, but I would probably say a scary piece of music um, would probably be that that one with Morgos' magic. I think that's that's uh, pretty creepy. or the, um, the attraction of evil, I think is also really creepy with the with the whispery sound coming in. Anything with that whispery sound on the soundtrack, I find very creepy. It just reminds me of Lady Helen using that voodoo doll. Oh, no. just, yeah, so that yeah, yeah. that kind of like, yeah! like that kind of thing. It's like... <laughs> it super not super scary when
3: you make it.
1: <laughs> well, if I can make it scarier than the soundtrack, then clearly there's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not supposed to. <laughs> what about you? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I found it hard because I'm not a real fan of the atmospheric hold you in suspense for five minute music. So I found it really hard to listen to the scary scenes. But um, Mark of the Raven, Segan's Tomb, because it tells the story. I thought that was really well done. It was and you don't notice it so much when you're in the scene um, because it goes right along with it. But it actually has a bit of melodic direction to it.
3: Okay, and we will end with favorite happy scene, and I will claim Gwaine's ball brawl for this.
1: <laughs>
3: because it makes me happy. And it is sort of a happy scene, because it's, I mean, it's also a funny scene, I know, but it just it makes me happy because Gwaine is there and his hair is swishy and beautiful and he flirts upon meeting Merlin and it's just, it's the Totally best. legit, yes. It's, it's the best. Oh my God, Gwen.
1: Um, I think probably mine is like I don't really know. I think that like happy slash funny is a bit of a thin line in Merlin, but I like Merlin's arrival in Camelot. That's really sweet. Um, but I also have obviously a soft spot for um, uh, I I can't remember what the actual track name is, but it's something like Merlin meets Arthur or Arthur meets Merlin or meeting Arthur or something like that, and um, just because you know it's 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 the beginning of all the things so it's like and you know exactly where that wheel fell down you know exactly where he was like hey come on that's enough and I'm just like (laughs) (laughs) how 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 can a hey undo me (laughs) I don't understand but apparently it can and that and that piece of music it's not happy per se but it makes me think of happy things so yeah those two those two
0: happy uh what have i got i got knights of the round table that's a good one and that yeah i mean it's it's like when everything that was supposed to happen in a good way that's sort of it's great because it has all those themes developed and and laid out um and it's really just really satisfying to listen to
2: um my happy scene is one that i can't remember what the episode is but it's Between Lancelot and Merlin, and it's the Lancelot going, basically saying to Merlin, "Uh, you're supposed to be dying or hurt, and Merlin's like, yeah, no, I'm good. And it's that scene where he's, like, catching the fish in the room. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing that, the the song, or not the song, the track that plays in the background is just kind of like Merlin's kind of, like, soft, sort of gentle theme. And it's got a little bit of, like, the Lance, like, Lance's kind of soft but also a little bit that you know there's something to it kind of theme in it and it just works really well and I with that scene in particular I love I just love that scene between them because it's clear that Lance is like oh, come on but also is like I love this
1: dude man <laughs> like you know it's, <laughs> Aww. oh that was a nice that was a much more pleasant note to finish on so <laughs>
3: And now, for a spontaneous rec session that no one is prepared for, <laughs> because I forgot to put it in the script, we'll have some fanwork recs that have to do with the music, and music in general. So, go Alticello!
0: Okay, well, the one that I wanted to rec is called Harmonia Mundi by Pen Rabbit. It was written for Paper Legends in 2011. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Um, The summary isn't fantastic, but the way I'm related to this was that uh, the art for this particular fic is actually music. Um, And I play the cello on one of the pieces. Um, But the fic itself is really good. (laughs) Really, really, really good. You can find it on Archive of Our Own. And I will make sure to give a link.
3: Yes, we will definitely put the link in our post. I just thought of this story... That I haven't reread in a while, so I don't remember how good it actually is. But it's called Love on a Wire by Ink and Owl. And it's about Merlin and Arthur who run a record store together. And Merlin gets mystery mixtapes from a secret admirer. And Arthur can't seem to get his feelings out there. And Will still hasn't learned basic manner. Is the summary for this—it's about 30k and explicit—and I do remember this being really sweet and like the the mixtapes that Merlin gets, like the music on there really trying to tell Merlin what the mystery admirer <laughs> um, is feeling for Merlin in any given moment. So, so that much for music telling a story. If this
1: was for another fandom, I would be able to, but I just can't even think of anything off the top of my head for Merlin. It's just, like, not happening at all.
2: Yeah, same way. I, there's so many Star
1: Trek ones that are related yeah. to to music, but I can't, for Merlin, I can't think of any. Yeah. like, I mean, Arthur makes Merlin a mixtape
3: and prove all my hypotheses. There you go. <laughs>
1: That's musical,
3: right? There's also this story and I don't remember what it's called but I think Merlin is a composer in it and he's like he's he's got he's put out one hit album basically and now everyone is asking when he's going to put out the next one but he's seriously blocked in his creativity I think because his parents died tragically in an accident very recently I think that's vaguely the plotline, and then he meets Arthur and slowly finds his way back to his music or something I don't remember what it's called or if it was good but I remember Merlin being a composer so yeah. there you go if I if I can remember what it's called or if someone if someone sends me a link I will put it in the notes for the episode
0: well, and I have a memory of one where Merlin is a famous pianist um or a violinist he's a musician and he's terribly ill and he doesn't tell anyone but he's got cystic fibrosis basically um and i can't remember i can't remember the title of it either but it it doesn't have any actual music in it it's just that he's a musician there you go
1: could we be at the at the end of the song as it were
3: yeah i see what i did there i totally see what you did there Good. amazing <laughs> yes i i believe we are thank you so much cello and grace for coming on this journey with us it's been great Absolutely. i think both rocks and i learned a lot i mean i know i learned a lot
0: <laughs> <laughs> hopefully all of it was good
1: <laughs> oh honestly i couldn't have imagined i mean i knew we were getting guests on and like you know i assumed that you had an interest in music but i just i never expected you know to, to have such a really um kind of critical analytic discussion about the soundtrack it was just the like the the biggest joy for me so i'm really really glad that you guys came on thank you
2: uh, this has been really awesome i i've always score and movie is something that i uh Like a lot, and it's kind of an odd subject to just like bring up at a party and go, Hey, do you like, you know, this very specific thing that happened in this Star Trek movie from 1985? (laughs) So, but yeah, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Yes, great.
3: So, yes, we have reached the end of this episode, which means it is now time to tell you that our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively from Melissa. All the other music used in this episode is from freesound.org. The mana for our cover was made by Brolin's Keep. I post podfig as momopods on AO3 and wreck all kinds of fanworks across various fandoms on Tumblr at That's What Momotastic Likes.
1: And I'm a Snowfox. I am on Tumblr as
3: Snowfox, funnily
1: enough, with an extra X. And I'm also on Instagram uh, as both Miss Snowfox and Miss Snowfox Cosplays, and YouTube as Ma- Magical Unicorn Twenty Two.
3: Those are just some of the places you can find me. So yeah. go and watch, go and watch all her fan vids.
1: Okay, guys, where can they find you?
0: <laughs> oh, okay, well, um, I'm alto cello pretty much everywhere. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Tumblr. You can find me on Pillowfort, DeviantArt, AO3, DreamWidth, and am I forgetting anything? Instagram. I'm all alto cello at all of those locations. Alright.
3: And what about you, Grace?
2: Um, I on Tumblr, I am grabdatgem with one T in Dat uh at Tumblr.com. And then uh, I on on Twitter, I am Ringo and I am at Ringo and Keanu on Twitter, and mo- I'd mostly just shit post about Ringo and Keanu and the greatest love story ever told so um, that's, that's where you can find me and that's pretty much it. Uh, my Instagram hooked up to my Tumblr so you'll see that there too and it's
3: I think grab that gem as well although I barely use it so Awesome. Next week well actually in two weeks we will be doing another episode review we will be talking about episode three of season two The Nightmare Begins. I'm sure we will have notes on the music now that we've talked about music so much <laughs> and until then thank you for listening I have been Momotastic and I've been Snowfox and our guests were Cello, hello and Grab That Jam bye bye Bye-bye. guys bye bye,
0: bye.